0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spilling the Truth. This episode is brought to you by Bluefish Design in Scottsdale, Arizona. Bluefish Design is a full-service marketing and ad agency. They can work with you on your website development, branding, logos, rebranding, whatever it takes to take your company to the next level. Check them out online. Matt and his team over there will take great care of you. It's www.bluefish.com. That's B-L-U-F-I-S-H.com. And now for today's episode, In this episode, we had the pleasure of sitting down with Nicola Biscardo from Nicola Biscardo Selections. Uh, He is one of the most passionate Italian people with wines I've ever met. His portfolio is amazing. We fell in love with his Corvino and a couple other of his wines. Please enjoy the episode. If you want to go ahead and look him up, you can look him up online. Also at NicolaBiscardo.com or through ConExports, which listen to the episode. You'll hear the story all about ConExports. Thank you very much for tuning in. Enjoy the episode.
1: How do I look? I look like weird. No, you look great. No, you look fantastic. Oh, you make here? us look good. Yeah, <laughs> how am I here? I'm the one dressed down for right now. I was giving him shit about yeah.
0: how dressed down he was. I
1: need somebody to sponsor the show and send me some like Hugo Boss or something.
0: <laughs> so, when I started working for Italians, mm-hmm. one of the first things, uh, my first meeting I ever went to, four different Italian people from Vias came up and handed me a card and said, Here's the number of my tailor. Give him a call. He'll take good care of you. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, just saying, you know.
2: They will take good care of you.
0: you. You Italians love your tailored clothes. I mean, you guys will tailor just about anything.
2: You know, it's... Uh, <laughs> you gotta in look In Italy, good. say, l'abito, il monaco. So the proper expression will be, l'abito, non il monaco. Like, the dress doesn't make the monk. It's not enough to be dressed as a monk to be really a monk. You have to be spiritually a monk. But as a matter of fact, we say labito fa'l monaco. If you dress like a monk, people will think you're a monk. So if you dress certain way, people will take it for granted that you are
1: that way. Isn't the American just the the suit makes the man? (laughs) The American version of it? Absolutely. Is that where that comes from then? I love
0: the little phrases that Italians have. There's so many phrases for like the food that's left on your plate, the one uh, piece that people don't want to eat because they don't want to take it. Is it the the bite of shame? I can't believe I said that. (laughs) What is it? Wait, wait, what is it? By the way, I am recording this. We are live now. Good. (laughs) Even better.
2: So there is the polite way and the slang way, which is never polite. <laughs> so the polite way is il boccone della vergogna, the bite of the shame, the shame bite, because it's, everybody is ashamed to to get it, and it stays there, and everybody's looking at it, and nobody's touching it. Well, in Verona, because we're much more colorful, in our dialect, we call it il boccone del mona, the, which means the bite of the mona. The mona, it would take me like a year and a half to explain exactly what <laughs> mona is. So mona is the... Dumb guy, but it's not dumb. It's 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 dumb and silly, or 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 pretending to be silly. So it's like you pretend that you didn't see was the last bite. So it's like, oh, it was the last <laughs> one. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, I didn't take the last one. Like All right, el Mona. You pretend to be Mona. You pretend to be dumb, but it actually you know exactly what you're doing.
1: So that's how we call it's it. It's like girls on Instagram. Taking a picture and going, "Oops, I accidentally snapped a picture of this. I'll put this yeah. up. Might take exactly. down later." <laughs> oh, exactly. Oops, Oops, my ticket. bad.
0: Was he a selfie? Oops. And our phrases that are like that are so just kind of dumbed down. Like I don't like a lot of them. I always break, uh lupo." In lupo, so yeah. That's another one that's, I always break. That's one of my Into ones. the mouth of the wolf. In the mouth in a, of the wolf, yeah. In, the, in America, we say "break a leg." It break sounds a leg. so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no. There's no prestige, and I love saying "boca lupo."
2: In Boca Lupo, actually, people get very sensitive on that because if you say "auguri," which can mean like "good luck," is such jinx in it. Like it's so bad. So if you have a, an exam at university or anything, and somebody says "auguri," you totally freak uh, out. I've seen people don't go into the exam. You have to say "boca lupo." Or again, if you remember, here's horrible, the slang. Remember "carpo." <laughs> In culo alla balena. In, don't ask me why. In the ass of so, the whale. Okay. <laughs> I heard culo. I was like, I know that <laughs> word. <laughs> and so... When, I love that. So the funny thing is, oh, so, if you yes. say, if I'm going like, doing like my uh, sommelier examination, you say, well, Nicole, in Bocca Lupo, my answer is crepi lupo. So you say in Bocca Lupo, and I answer crepi lupo. So in the mouth of the wall, and I say, let the wall die. And, but if you say... <laughs> in culo la balena in the ass of the whale I say speriamo che non scorreggi I hope
1: she won't fall. she won't
0: if this wasn't the greatest introduction to a oh. show we've had yet. That's, that's,
1: I, I don't even know how, where we go from there. That is so and great. here we are
0: talking about wine. I'm a, I, I love I, it. Always comes back to farts and poop. <laughs> yeah, but there's there's something special about the Italian culture and how you have these little phrases and these little sayings that uh, make sense over there. Absolutely. And when you go down to Naples, <laughs> those phrases, <laughs> they get even weirder. Like weirder. Ah, like the people from the South are a little crazy, I hear. it uh, Crazy. In, 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 well, in all cultures. We, were, we met a French guy. We did a tasting uh, on Monday before we came to you with a guy from northern France and southern France. Uh-huh. And they talked not really poorly about it, the north and the south, but they had a lot of... Um, oh, the French guy, JJ? Yeah. yeah. So the guy from the south and the north, they were giving each other a hard time constantly. In France? In France. It would
1: never happen in Italy. never it's because north people never visit south italy
2: (laughs) (laughs) we kill each other between north and south the funny thing is that in france is reversed the people from in italy the north and south they don't get along but because the north is you know industrial you know and it's it's very developed and the economy in the south is very bad has been there forever. So, you know, the North always says, oh, we're tired to care the people from the South. And people of the South say, you are motherfuckers and stuff like that. <laughs> in France, it's the opposite is the North that is the down part and the South is the cool part. Now, not according to these guys, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the way they're going. I back don't want to say that the, in Italy, the North is the cool part and the South is not, because as a matter of fact, I'm really from the North, I'm from Verona. And Pe- Verona is actually the typical northern Italian city, like very clean, very organized, beautiful, very well kept. Um, people go by the rules, hard workers. So not everybody like us. So the funny thing is between Verona and Naples, we are like cats and dogs because Naples is the typical image of the southern city. It's dirty, it's messy. Uh, people park the cars Everywhere, the traffic is insanity. <laughs> they never go by the, by the laws, never go by the rules. It's like crazy stuff. And so the two cities that are hating each other. Well, you're talking to a guy that has a pure, genuine passion, more than love. It's like passion for Naples. I love Naples. That's why, guys, I brought something special for you tonight. It is exactly from Naples. Awesome. Because it's, I, I love that city. But you need... To understand it, you need to grasp it. I, I'm telling you, I went to Naples for the first time. I was 28 years old. So I was already an adult. I never felt comfortable to go to Naples before being from Verona. I went to Mexico. I met a Napolitan guy. We became like brothers. And I said, if you invite me, I come to Naples with you. And I went, I go to Naples ever since. I was 28 and I still love that city like it's like it's mine. And when I go there, let's put it this way when I go there, I fake a Bologna accent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I don't want you to can't tell say anybody. You're from Verona. No, Can- I'm, I'm telling you, the first time I went there, it was, it was like, oh, uh, I introduced you my friend, uh, my friend Nicola. Hey, Nicola, hey, how are you? Nicola, hey, Benvenuto. Where are you from? Hey, I'm from Verona. I could see the ice <laughs> on the face of the people, the <laughs> ice. <laughs> And then I said every time, But I know, I'm searching from Bologna. Bologna is a beautiful city. You know, I talk like that.
0: I love that people could change accents up like that. <laughs> you know, people t- don't realize t- that? that about Italy. In America, the, the accent from the south is very different than the north. You uh, know a yeah. New Yorker versus a Texan. Well, same thing oh, with big Boston. Yeah. yeah. And that people think Italy is all the same, but... Oh. I know for a fact people from the north can't understand people from Sicily. Uh, it's like a different language. <laughs> I mean, We don't understand people from Naples.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there is this show, the only good Italian TV show, only one. We don't, we're not very good in shows. It's called <laughs> Gomorra. It's about the mafia in uh, Naples, which is actually called uh, Camorra. And it's all about drug trafficking. And it's about uh, a book from Saviano. Very, very famous guy. Anyway, that has been shot entirely in Neapolitan uh, in Neapolitan dialect. Well,
0: we watch it with subtitles.
2: Oh, wow. wow. Because wow. we cannot understand what they say.
0: There's a show here in America that films people fishing in Louisiana. Oh, mm-hmm. God. And that has subtitles. Yeah, and I'm not sure. They're supposedly speaking English, but yeah. Yeah. I have no idea what they're saying. I'm having hard time in kind of Louisiana thing. to yeah. understand. I'm so, like... So, so uh, Nicola, how... Who are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, talk exactly. a little about who you are and <laughs> <Okay, I'm laughs> why a... you're on the show and a little maybe about your company or a little something about like why you're sitting here just pouring these amazing wines okay. or um, how I'm pouring your amazing wines. To make the very long
2: story very short, the short version is only three and a half hours. I hope you guys have time. So to make the long story short, uh, yeah, my name is Nicola Biscardo. I call myself the Italian Wine Ambassador. Uh, I'm a little bit (laughs) arrogant, I guess. Excellent. Um, No, you're Italian. Exactly. I'm Italian. Confident. I'm confident. So uh, basically, I belong to a family that has been making wine in Italy for four generations. Uh, My great-grandfather started the winery in 1876 in the beautiful little valley called Valpolicella uh, in the town of Verona. Uh, Verona is the beautiful city of Romeo and Juliet, and now has been discovered by American tourists. We see more and more American tourists. Uh, usually the American... Here is the first detour. <laughs> Sometimes they ask <laughs> I, me if I I'm a realize
1: Romeo and Juliet was Verona. Oh, I got a funny story about that. Oh, yeah.
2: Romeo and Juliet is actually Verona. It's actually... Uh, Shakespeare was really in love with Verona. And in one of the three circle of walls of Verona... Verona is a three circle of walls because we have the Roman walls because Ro- Verona... Was being established by the Romans, so it's like a miniature of Rome. It's like Rome without four million Romans, which is <laughs> even better, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're gonna kill me when I go back home. So you have Just the first go back south. <laughs> exactly. You have the first round of walls. Then the city grew in the Middle Ages, so they moved the wall further, and then during the Austrian-Garic Empire, they moved the wall again. So you have the three circle of walls. Now the Roman part it's very very small. Has been. You know, knocked down and absorbed by the city, but the medieval wall and the Austrian walls are really visible. Okay. And in the second circle of war, there is engraved in the wall a uh, sign, a Shakespeare uh, sign that says, "There is no war beyond Verona walls." So it was really in love with the city of Verona. Okay. My,
0: and my, my first time, I'll just interlude real quick, and then we'll come back. My first time ever in Verona. We're walking up this beautiful street that's perfectly manicured. Everything is looking amazing. The most beautiful cities in Europe is Verona. I Thank love it. Thank you. Verona. I appreciate. I, I would not it. contradict you. So as I'm walking up the street, <laughs> there's one house I come across that is old, it's run down. It doesn't look like any other house on the street mm-hmm. and the person who was our guide I said what's wrong with that house how come it's so run down he goes oh it's the house of Juliet Yeah, it's Juliet. and yeah. I looked at him I go well who's Juliet <laughs> and he looked at me like who are you okay can I say something bad? <laughs> please <laughs> should we should we talk about the first one and then I said it, I <laughs> just mumble it while you drink
1: go fuck yourself <laughs> wow. uh, I, I
0: didn't would, realize that Romeo and Juliet were the story was based there and there was actually a house of Juliet and absolutely yeah, was, the house of Juliet house of Romeo, and as,
2: and as everything happened in Italy, which is a matriarch society, we care for women, we don't like men too much, and uh, <laughs> nobody gives a shit about the house of Romeo, nobody goes there, everybody goes to the house of Juliet, and there is the statue of Juliet, and every touch the boobs of Juliet, which is... <laughs> <laughs> Something that that brings very good luck. (laughs) (laughs) And you can see the statue is in bronze. It's all oxidized, but the boobs are shiny. Shiny. (laughs) keep them mind all the time. Just make sure. And every time I go back home, I go there like, hi, Julia, how are you doing? And then I'm home. Great Great luck luck for the city. I'm home. you know. To to be home, you have to to touch the boobs to be home. Touch the boobs. Absolutely.
0: All right. So I'm going to live in Ver- I'm going to retire in Verona at this point. I love it. It literally is one of my favorite cities. I mean, it's to sit nice around city. the Colosseum and drink Aperol Spritzes and just enjoy life. I mean, there's something special about sitting in that courtyard. Absolutely. Yes. And I'm glad you brought this subject
2: up because Aperol Spritz is a religion for us. And it is Aperol, which is this uh, orange decor made in Padova. So, Padova, we have Venice, which is our capital. Then you have Padova, Vicenza, and Verona. Those are the four major cities of Veneto. So Aperol is made in Padova, and then we have Prosecco. So you mix Aperol with Prosecco, the sparkling Italian wine, and you get a spritz, which is our ultimate aperitif. It's light body, very flavorful, bitter, so it cleans your palate, it's not sweet, and it's the perfect way. And as you said, you go in Verona between 6 and 7, and you see orange glasses everywhere. 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 <laughs> Is the only place you go in other city? and Aperol Spritz costs you seven euros, seven bucks, which is still affordable. In Verona, a Spritz costs two euros and fifty cents, max three euros. Otherwise, they punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> because are you kidding me? Seven euros? I'm gonna drink 25 of them. So you pay it. for the bottle just by that's sitting it here. <laughs> and that's exactly why we have this first wine over here. Good segue. (laughs) Exactly, because this is your perfect, perfect Aparo Spritz drink. So, what is this? Uh, We are actually enjoying now a a very unique wine because this one is literally the third bottle open in the state of Arizona. And I started introducing this wine in in my tour. I just left Italy on September 1st. So, I've been on the road for a month and a half. Uh, Just to introduce this specific wine. So, this one is my Anti prosecco. Now saying this to a microphone, I guess I get goosebumps. Are you going
0: to be in trouble though? Going yeah, back because this anti prosecco. I'm
2: from Veneto. I don't say anti prosecco. It's like swearing against my own mother. You don't do that. But there is a lot of unfortunately because of the popularity of the prosecco, importers in America they're bringing the cheapest, the cheapest, the cheapest, the cheapest. Because I have, I want to say this: restaurants are shameless. They don't. Care They just want to maximize their profit And they want the cheapest Prosecco possible To make the maximum profit Now, Prosecco to begin with Is not an expensive wine Prosecco is a a fun, joyful I call Prosecco the foolish Italian bubbles That's exactly what it is It's supposed to be fruity, not sweet So I always say You're not looking for sugar, you're looking for fruit So it's fruity, but it's dry And it's fun, casual bubbles To drink every single day Unfortunately, fortunately, the popularity grew a lot. But when a lot of popularity comes a kind of a downside, which is the mass production. And when people want to drink a lot and cheap, I call it addict in the bottle. So that's why I got this wine from Emilia-Romagna. Emilia-Romagna declared war to Veneto. And it says, we're going to be the next new bubbles with this unique grape called Pignoletto. And... uh, I, I, in April, I tested 25 wineries, 25 producers of Pignoletto, and I found this one, Cantina di Carpi. I fell in love. The price is right, and the quality is right. Now, I still have my Prosecco in the portfolio, but I will not compromise in quality. I don't care if they tell me, oh, your, your Prosecco is too expensive. I don't care. It's my Prosecco is what Prosecco should be.
1: And I was to say, we've been real fortunate to have a couple Prosecco tastings recently, and they have been outstanding. And growing up, you know, I big fan of champagne. I like some cava's. I've unfortunately had a lot of proseccos that are terrible, and they come off. They're sweet. I've dealt with a lot of restaurants who are looking for it. Uh, I helped open up this one place called R and R, and they were buying J. Roger and prosecco for two dollars a bottle, so they could only use it in mimosas. Mm-hmm. And it it was it almost was water like. It was pretty much clear, had bubbles. It had no flavor to it. It was all sweet. And people saw the it's bottle that they were losing. Yeah. And they were just looking at it going, oh, I got to get more of that for everything we have. And it was just dumpster fire Prosecco, unfortunately. And it's, it's just such an unfortunate thing when you have such a great product that coming to America, being a sweet palate, mm-hmm. you know, these mass, produce, uh, mass production facilities and distribution companies just want to sell 10 million bottles of it. They set a market by lowering the bar as much as they possibly can and saying, well, that's, that's what it is. It is and discouraging. And you have to fight tooth and nail to show, I, no, this is exactly. what Prosecco should be. And by the way, Prosecco is not crazy expensive by any means. It's exactly. not champagne. We, uh, to be honest with
2: you, let's talk about wholesale. It With $10 wholesale, you, which means fourteen ninety nine retail, which is not outrageously expensive. That is so inexpensive. You can get a very good Prosecco. Yeah. But if you want to go down to $7, $6... Jesus! It's just the cost of the bottle. Come on, the 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 glass, empty glass. Uh, It's insanity. It's It's insanity.
0: Even the best proseccos made in all of Valdobbiadene, and whether it's you know Cortice or Mm -hmm. Crete or some of these single vineyards, they only get to be thirty or forty dollars in the United States. Yeah. And people go, "Wow, that's expensive. That's cheap champagne." And 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 cheap. Like, like cheap like that's champagne. That's like stuff you don't want to drink. I would, stuff I, that you don't want to drink. Yeah. Thank you. And that's the best of the Proseccos in the world. Yeah. like People should be gravitating towards this, knowing I they're agree. getting such a great value. Absolutely. Plus, one thing with Italy, the prices in Italy have not gone up a lot in the last 10 years. No. And in all the other countries, the prices keep going up and up and up. The Spaniards keep raising price. The French keep raising price. The French are getting hit with tariffs right now, too. Yeah. So you're going to see more and more value out of the Italian wines over the next couple of years than ever before. Absolutely.
2: But you know why? Because they're good people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> On, only the Northerners, right? But to be honest <laughs> with you, yeah, actually, to be honest
2: with you, like Italy can really bring great value to the table. Like yes. really. From the entry level to the big guys are very great values. Uh, if you notice, there are not, It and I, sometimes I it hurts me because I, comes the Italian pride, but there are not, Italian wines that are $1,000, $2,000, or $3,000 a bottle. Even our masterpiece Barolo's, single vineyard, single vineyard Barbaresco, or or Brunello, they're all, even the masterpiece are still very. Affordable. Yeah, Masetto is still
0: affordable compared to the equivalent, the Burgundy or exactly. Bordeaux, or if you're talking about Bruno Giacosa, you're talking about some of these other Single the pr- Giacosa of course, da Milano. Expensive. Yeah, and we're going to be getting into Amarone at some point, but even some of the top Amaronis are not expensive compared to mm. the global. Exactly.
2: The, the god of the valley is, is uh, Quintarelli. And Quintarelli, yes, you were looking at. Three four hundred special vintage six hundred dollars a bottle, which is, is that not Del Forno, which is not Del Forno and Quintarelli. They're, they're 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 there, okay. and so it's not a cheap wine, but it's not three thousand dollars. Well, isn't Sassicaia, or Sasicaia.
1: and or are like they're in the hundred dollar two hundred dollar category, exactly. and they're the top Super Tuscans?
2: And 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 the thing is, they're amazing wines. Yeah, so they have not even a notch below, you know, Bourgogne or Bordeaux. But that's about the thing. It's about the fact the way the wine are perceived. And what I appreciate about Italian wines is that they never lose their life dimension, meaning that our wines are wines for drinking, are wine for the table, and are wine f- to share. So even the best expression, there will be more pricey than the other, but they never lose that dimension. Those are wine for the people. Uh, made by the people and for the people. So when wines get above certain price point, they become luxury items. Yeah. And at that point, it doesn't matter. I always say, uh, when they ask me, why those wines are so expensive? They're, at the end of the day, they're wine. I said, you're totally right. And I always say, the best way for me to, ex- to explain is like, you don't buy a Rolex to know what time is it. If you want to know what time is it, you get your iPhone, you do this, you touch the screen, it's 618 precisely now you know
1: what time is it plus you know you get these big brands that they'll spend more money on marketing more than they will the wine anymore absolutely and they have to be like well you know our wine is still this category but now we need to spend 10 million dollars marketing it to the world and then that's going to inflate the price and then oh we're popular let's do 50 million in marketing and now it's even higher but the quality goes down and down a little bit each time just so they can pump more marketing out there
2: that's the point that's exactly the point so at that point people buy those wines not because of the Mouth feeling is because is a statement. They want to lux- show off to their friends. It's a luxury item. Uh, we said before, Nicola. Let's not talk politics. Okay, I am going to talk politics. But <laughs> if
0: <laughs> Trump goes Didn't to see, off. if Trump goes to visit Putin,
2: <laughs> which wine is going to bring? You know, a good a good wine or a wine that makes a statement? A wine that makes a statement. So for me, it's a different dimension. I don't. Those wines are fun to look at it, but it's not Personal. wine for life. Like for example, this is a wine for life, it's called Notte Bianca, and Notte Bianca is the ultimate celebration of life, in a sense that, i tell you how, how fun this name comes from. Notte Bianca is a real night event in Italy, and it was a very wise mayor uh, in the center of Italy, in a little tiny town, I never remember the name of that town, it's a town outside of Rome in the center of Italy, and he was so smart in the 1800s. So we're really looking, said, looking far ahead. And he said, we have amazing history in Italy. We have amazing museums, amazing art, but we're always working. We never get to enjoy it. People come visit and enjoy our art, and us, we cannot even enjoy it. So he said, one night in summertime, everything related to art will not shut down. The city will mean up all night long. And people can go after work and join museums, art galleries, opera houses, everything connected to art. And it was a very smart thing. And it's called the white night because everybody were white and nobody goes to sleep. Of course, things escalate quickly. And now we have a white night in every single city in Italy. And they also play music. They have bands coming in. They The city are blocked to the car, so you can just walk freely around. And in every intersection, they put a stage with the different bands. That is so cool. And they perform art on the street. And every shop is open. Everybody's open. And, and this wine celebrates that. Celebrates that white night. It's a fun celebrating casually, easily, with the people having fun. What night is that? Every city has a different day. Okay. So Verona... We did a white night, I think it was July 20. But even my little town, because I live in Valpolice, right above Valpolicella, where we make the wine, it's called Bussolengo. It's a very little, tiny town. We had our own little white night. So every- the one little alley. It's, it's like our little wine night. But they do it in Paris. They do it in Madrid. They do it in Prague, so it's really branching out. It's it's a fun. I, I think such it's a great cool concept.
1: concept to bring all your local people out. I think our equivalent would be almost a first Friday. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, first Friday of every month, they close down downtown, block off the streets, and let everybody walk around to the bars. They have food trucks that go in. Uh, local artists put all their stuff out, handcrafted. All it's pretty much kind of on the same page as that so that would be the wine for that night i will say this thing compared to a prosecco is really cool because it's not like a prosecco minus the bubbles it's got a very different characteristic to it yeah and it's 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 lingering for a long time which is really nice too
2: (laughs) i always say this one is where your prosecco was four or five years ago like the good fun crisp bubbles and now for the equivalent of this, in terms of Prosecco, you have to spend a little bit more money. Okay. Like this one, you can find it retail at, you know, $14, 15 And uh, a good Prosecco, you have to go from f- 16 to 20 if you really want to drink well. If you want to drink well.
0: I mean, Emilia-Romagna also is the center of food in a Absolutely. lot of Italy. I mean, that's where some of the best food in all of Italy comes out of. So you would assume that they're making some great wines there, but we don't see a lot of them in America. But that's why I married a girl from Emilia Romagna. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done.
1: For, for people, where is Emilia Romagna? Is it north, middle Italy? Or it's excuse, north. north
2: is north of Italy and it is uh, the only horizontal, uh, um, I call it the horizontal region. It's the only horizontal region of Italy, meaning that it lays right below Lombardy and Veneto. Okay. And and then it's between Tuscany and Veneto. Okay. That's, That's what it is. But I mean, they make some amazing cheese comes amazing out of there. Amazing cheese. And the funny thing is I always take fun of the people in Minna because the wine, come, first of all, I'm from Veneto. I make camarone, so my shit doesn't stink, right? <laughs> so... Uh, you Not know, only if I, you get farted out of a ass. <laughs> <Wales house>. exactly. <laughs> That's a good point. So I grew up with that attitude. Oh, we make Amarone blah blah blah. <laughs> so I grew up with that attitude. And Emilia Romagna was never famous for their wine. Uh, they make, you know, Lambrusco. Uh, they make um, uh, Pignoletto. They make Sangiovese di Romagna, and so like wine that they never got fame. But in that, I call it the magic triangle between bologna modena and parma amazing things super recognized around the world actually are from like as you said where is emilia romagna and, and if i say well you know parma prosciutto who doesn't know parma prosciutto that's where it's from parmesan cheese that's where it's from yeah um, balsamic vinegar everybody knows balsamic vinegar that's where it's from Wow. Ferrari. It's a, I was going to say, I knew
1: Ferrari was in there.
2: Ferrari, Lamborghini, Bugatti, oh, look, Maserati, what? Ducati. It's, it's, a tri, it's a magic triangle of amazing things that are coming from this region. And actually, let me, in Italy, say spezzare una lancia. That's another phrase. How do you say lancia? <laughs> the dart? Let me break a dart. Don't ask me why. Okay. Okay. Let me break a dart in favor of the Lambrusco. The real Lambrusco, which is the
1: dry Lambrusco,
2: is actually an amazing wine.
1: Without a doubt, no. we we both just had one recently, and it was fantastic. It's a fantastic wine. It's it's another hum- wine that got butchered by being mass produced into. What what's the one that's on ice so nice? Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> Re- Re- Needy. Rio <laughs> You need it, of course.
2: But you know, if if fulfill a purpose, we don't have to forget that uh, these in the seventies in the United States were drinking Dr Pepper and Coca Cola, so they have to convince the people to give up their Dr. Pepper and move into wine. So the Sweet brusco uh, fulfilled a purpose. It was, the, it was the one that actually said, oh, it's, it's, it's wine. It's made with grape. There is alcohol in it. Yeah, let's give it a try. And then we went a long way. Now, US right now is a full-blown wine country, without a doubt. It's a much better, you know, it's a very well-educated, yeah. you know, wine country. And But at that time, you know, fifty, sixty years ago, you know nobody was drinking wine. Nobody.
1: I guess I never thought about that as well you know, if you have everybody growing up 50s, 60s, 70s, drinking Coke, Pepsi, sprite, or whatever, they're so used to all their bubbles being sweet absolutely, and then so when you all of a sudden start catching all these other bubbles coming in they're like they're they're subtle in the back of their head, like oh, it's just not sweet, therefore I can't drink it kind of a thing, yeah. even if it does have alcohol.
2: Good luck bringing a, and, a lazzarito barolo in in the sixties.
0: Yeah. Also going back to Emilia Romagna, one of the greatest white wines I ever tried you on Malvasia. That was from Emilia Romagna.
1: I, I wondered because it was a
0: Malvasia from Emilia Romagna. When he that said the, the grapes that fantastic. weren't well known, Do you I remember like, the producer? Was that uh, uh, Piedrasana? I think, or no, it was, uh, no, uh, Luzano. Luzano. That's the that,
1: that turned me on to Malvasia. And ever since it, I was like, I want that. I want there that is, grape.
0: There is amazing
2: dry Malvasia, Malvasia seca. If you get was the sweet or was the dry one? It was dry. Yeah. Was it, the
1: dry Malvasia is and, and little bubbles to it. It a had a little of, effervescence. Yeah. Yes. And so, he's way, talked
0: about it for years always. since I tasted them because I finished the work day. I stopped by I think your house or something. I said, Here, try these. And he brings it up on almost every show, this wine. And it's, I don't have any. It's Malvasia
1: or Malvasia. 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 Yeah. So it's a Z, basically. Zia. Okay. It, cool. It's actually
2: with the S-I, but it's. It's pronounced it's as a Z. Z. That's what yeah. Meant. You, you stretch as Zia. And yeah. also
0: the Italians, I always uh, sun, uh, enunciate the first part of a word, not the second part. So <laughs> instead of Malvasia, it's it's Malvasia. Okay. Yeah. Like Barolo, or
1: Subaru. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Nicola. It's, it's, I was saying it's, Nicola. Not, it's not Nicola. Nicola. Yeah. It's Nicola. Nicola. Yeah. It's the beginning half.
1: That was that was fantastic. I mean, for people who definitely want to try getting into bubbles, Prosecco is the best way to go. And if this is gonna be a war that gets fought in Italy like all the other little little areas, this will be great. But
0: you know, you'll admit it's so much it it's a lot of fun showing stuff that people have not had. Yeah. Now we're gonna go into a different realm when something that people have had a ton of is Pinot Grigio, but it's also fun showing quality of something that people think they've had, they truly haven't. Exactly. You know, people think, oh, I've had Pinot Grigios. And I used to love bringing Pinot Grigios from Trento mm-hmm. or from, you know, Treveni- uh, certain, Tre Venezia, yeah. Certain producers or Friuli. Friuli, yeah. And, and watching their eyes open up going, yes. wow, that's Pinot Grigio? Absolutely, yes. Um, there was Vito Romans, was mm-hmm. another producer Vito of right, Romans, yeah. that I represented. And they had a almost a Romato style Pinot Grigio. Mm-hmm. There was a little pink, some years, and I would show up, and people's eyes would almost pop out of their head when they would try to be like, "This is Pinot Grigio, is this? exactly," because they're still used to having the five dollar uh, co-op that, exactly from so, a know, town, and exactly,
2: you know that your 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 big, you know bottlers, you know that they just buy bulk anywhere is cheap, and they just stick a label on it.
0: We cannot mention.
2: Uh, brands right here. No, you can talk about whatever you, you, want. About whatever you want. I
0: told you yeah. politics and religion, and you already broke that rule. Exactly, <laughs> so. exactly.
2: You know, <laughs> you know, if you you're drinking uh, your, you know, your Ecco Domani, your Danzante, those stuff. Of course, they get they source the grape anywhere they can. They just stick a <laughs> pretty ecco the label. They, they don't even, even well. exist. Those are wine that yeah. do not exist. That's the point. They don't not they don't exist in Italy. They just. Exist it's made for market? the American market. Today mass
1: produced. Here's all excess stuff. I remember we brought in Ecco Domani when it first came out when we were at R and R and it was our number one seller, along with New Age, whatever thing that came out of Italy. Mm-hmm. And it was all dirt cheap, no problem. But if you try to look it up, that doesn't like really exist no, as a winery. It's just eh, hey, we threw a label on a bottle with Italian grapes. Absolutely. O- yes. Often
0: with Prosecco, we just call it the blue label
1: prosecco. We, exactly. we don't
0: necessarily mention the name, but everybody knows what we're talking about.
1: Absolutely yes. And, g- this, and, and this and this notte
0: bianca is my anti blue label prosecco. No, this this is fantastic I wish I, I, I hope you're having good success with in the markets with this thank you and opening people's eyes to things that are not Prosecco and good alternative and Italy makes a lot of bubbles a lot of bubbles. that are not Prosecco no you know I think does pretty much every region makes some form of sparkling wine both thank red you for saying that and yes. white red and, and white and I've always said also with the Italians they typically drink all their great wines themselves, and they don't always ship a lot to us in America. It's it's
2: actually very, very difficult to find good ba- bubbles, Italian bubbles, because everybody thinks about Prosecco now. And I always say, as an ambassador, I did, not, of course, not just me, like many people like me, and you did the same thing, uh, uh, advocating for... Prosecco. Like I, when I started 22 years ago, nobody knew what Prosecco was. And I was saying the full Italian bubbles because everything that bubbled in the United States was called champagne. Now there is a second word in mind, which is Prosecco. Now there's still a little mistake, a little misunderstanding. They think that everything that bubbles from France is champagne and everything that bubbles from Italy is Prosecco. Not the case. If it comes from Veneto, it's Prosecco. But in Italy, as you said, every region has its own sparkling wine. And one thing is Prosecco, and one thing is what I call real sparkling wine. Because we have a lot of classic method, a lot of Champenois method made in Italy that are
0: unreal. Well, right now it's becoming actually fairly popular Is your
2: Trento Doc. Trento Doc or Franciacorta. or Franciacorta. But we have way more than that. Like every region makes mm-hmm. its own classic method. And... I am actually one of the, going back to like who you are, what you do. Well, yeah, my family makes wine, makes, you know, make Samarone, yes, yara, yara. But back in 1987, my father had the idea to gather six friends, including Gairov, Luigi, Luigi Tonni, to uh, export their wine together. So we are six friends, uh, family-owned properties, uh, organically grown wine, that instead of coming here, each one of us independently, we decide to come here as a group. But we are very independent one from the other. I don't tell Romina how to make her wine. She doesn't tell me how to make mine. We are separate entities, but join forces because we're small. So together we can actually conquer the market. We started in six friends. Now we are 32. And I'm one of the very few crazy guys. In my book, I have, of course, Prosecco. We said that. I have this crazy pignoletto. I am the only sparkling vermentino in the United States. I am the only sparkling Verdicchio 36 months on the East before the Scourge. Insane stuff. I have a sparkling Greco in my book. That's really cool. (laughs) And soon, sparkling Gavi and uh, a sparkling Barbera Champenois.
0: And what is the name of your importer for the United States? Okay, that's a funny story. Or what's on the bottle?
2: Well, you know, on the bottle says Nicola Biscardo Selections. Great. Uh, But (laughs) for... for, uh, uh, 18 years the company was called con export uh, because we we said we are a con a private consortium for the export would you know the con was a bad thing <laughs> i was gonna say something when you said that so, every the time con, was, the con next exports, to a barcode especially, the, especially the italians exactly. so exactly <laughs> so every time i was calling a, a wholesaler and distributor in the united states uh, with my accent Hello, this is Nicola Biscardo. Um, I am from Con Export. Like, click. (laughs) (laughs) It's like,
0: what is that you're selling again? Like,
2: I'm trying to sell wines. So we decided to change it into Nicola Biscardo.
0: We talk a lot about exporters and importers on the show because a lot of people don't know about Italian wines. Mm -hmm. They don't know about French wines. And it's very intimidating to walk into an Italian section at a store where there's... 400 selections, and you don't know where to start. Right. Especially with the 2,000 varietals that there Italy is. makes. Yep. There's so much diversity. So I tell people, find an importer you like and stick with them. Mm-hmm. And what I do, and I'm notorious for this, is I walk through a shop and I just turn bottles around. right? And I start looking on the back label for who the importer is. And we love to promote mm-hmm. the importer name. Absolutely. And when people are looking for wines, often, even if they're... They could say, hey, I'm looking for the, the Nota Bianca. And they can't find it. And the, the buyer might be like, I don't know where to find that stuff. But if they know the importer name, Absolutely. It, it, it can lead them down the path to find you and get the wines Absolutely. in the shop. So it's really important to talk about your importer on the show. And I'm sure we'll talk about it a couple more times. Yeah. In yeah.
2: fact, on, on, on the back of the label, if you look, there is a compass rose because it's like my father idea was find a direction for quality. So it's like a, a compass rose. Uh, and uh, every I said it, it all the time, when you see the compass rose... With Nicola Biscaro Selection, means family-owned, estate-grown. We don't buy grape. We don't buy wine. Everything is, is estate-grown, produced in bottle, um, organically grown, and we come here independently. So we got all the middlemen to come here so people, as you said, don't have to pay for the marketing. They yeah. pay for the quality. And that's what is really important for us. Natural wine, as much as possible, starting from the point that natural wine does not exist. I always said all the time. There is nothing natural in wine. Because without human beings, there is no wine. In nature, there is a lot of vinegar, but there is not wine.
1: (laughs) It's wine for 30 seconds before it becomes vinegar. Exactly. (laughs) My best definition
2: of of wine is, wine is a a human interfering over a natural process that gives you vinegar. That's my definition of wine. So those are as natural as they can be, which means little intervention. So no manipulation, no inoculating yeast, not inoculating malolactic, not um, chapalization, so not, uh, not adding sure. sugar, not adding citrus, not adding coloring, not adding flavor of any kind. So very no sulfites during fermentation, but just allowed on bottling site to preserve the quality of the wine.
1: Not That's to it. mention, isn't pretty much every grape would be technically a GMO just because you it's not a natural, like Cabernet wasn't natural. It's just crossbreeding, crossbreeding, crossbreeding done by a lot of people to eventually get certain grapes. Like there's a few that have been coming out in America recently that are just made in a lab at UC Davis and it becomes just a really popular grape that then crossbreed with another thing and then all of a sudden you just make wine from it. But a lot of it's oh,
0: natural crossbreeding. I crossbreeding, mean, yeah. Cor- Corvina is a natural crossbreed that's happened over generations between a number of different grapes. grapes would yes. it not be people walking out though and
1: literally taking like these stems or pollens from one thing and touching it to another one? Because that would, in, in theory, it, be Birds GMO. and the bees. Exactly. Birds well, and bees, yeah. We, we have
2: some of them, like for example, um, we have like in Crocio Manzoni, uh, Professor Manzoni came out with with two different clones so we have encrocho manzoni white andcrocho manzoni red and they were been invented I think in the early 1900 okay I think I have to study at a school but I don't remember anymore <laughs> but in that, in that range so um, we have some new clones that are coming but the varietal that you find were like uh cloning and mixing starting from the Romans and, and the adaptation of the different varietal to the different soil. One amazing grape, for example, is Trebbiano, one of the most underrated varietal in Italy. And in my opinion, in the world, in Italy, we'll, we know what we have, but people think that Trebbiano are cheap wines. Again, because after the sweet Lambrusco, they invaded the market with cheap Trebbiano and then with cheap Suave and now with cheap Chianti. Cheap, with <laughs> but- cheap Chianti. But Trebbiano makes incredible wine. But the cool thing about the Trebbiano, adapts to the soil very rapidly. It doesn't take 3,000 years for a Trebbiano to find its own adaptation. In a matter of some few hundreds years, year, it really changes. So the Trebbiano di Soave is very different from the Trebbiano of Rome and is very different from the Trebbiano of Lugana. In fact, they call it Trebbiano di Lugana and Trebbiano di Soave because... Genetically, they have cells of Trebbiano, but they look completely different. The cluster is different. The flavor is different. They're two different Trebbianos
0: altogether. That's crazy. They're, and Italy has like 20 different Trebbianos. Yeah. I mean... And they're different. They are. I mean, they're kind of like all distant cousins. So you're going to get me in trouble, by the way, because I've actually never had a single wine on the show yet from the Geierhoff family. Fam- <laughs>
1: I do like <laughs> This that. is the first Huff.
0: one... That I'm having on the show. I haven't. We haven't yet had Masapoli. We have not yet had uh Torre de Luna or any of her wines. Well, she hasn't been in the market recently either. Recently, so. yeah. But actually,
2: but, she brings her best regards.
0: Uh, I have a text right here that says, "Oh my God, he's my BFF." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a term we said in New Mexico when we were working the market together. I took her out for a Mexican breakfast, uh-huh. and we were eating you know a traditional new mexican Webos breakfast rancheros. and she's i was like i was like you're my best friend and so we started this whole like bff thing so she sends me these bff texts all the time and she's huh. amazing and i thought it was awesome you went to sedona also and yes her and i always go to sedona together and it's actually uh,
2: she's a great lady and 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 i'm very proud of this winery because it's been with us since eight, 1980. 87, so and the so very, very beginning.
0: Well, I always used to ask her when I went to Italy, how come we don't have Geierhoff wines? Well, exactly. No, now I know. <laughs> because <laughs> the the funny thing is that we were both kids. Like when our fathers, you
2: know, Terenzio, my father, and Luigi, her father, they established con-export. Con-export? <laughs> they established con <laughs> They established con uh, We were kids, and then we, we all grew up, and, uh, and, you know, they turned out, the three sisters, they turned out to be Amazing winemakers. And now this is one of our uh, leading 100% female run winery in our group. Romina, Valentina and Martina. They are amazing three sisters. They are super uh, together. you know sometimes when the family gets bigger, things getting complicated. We saw with Vietti, they have to sell the winery because they didn't get a loan.
0: Master Bernardino's.
2: Master Bernardino's. You know, it happens in family. Those three sisters are like, super connected. They have three completely different roles in the winery. Uh, Romina is the front lady. She's the marketing. She goes all over the world promoting, spreading the love. And uh, Valentina is the winemaker. And uh, I always say,
0: Martina is the one that fixes everything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's She's awesome. She's the one that fix everything. I mean, but this shows really what great Pinot Grigio can be. And this family does make some of the best Pinot Grigios in the world, which you can get. The property is spectacular. One of the best views you will ever see.
2: The best, really. And every time I go there and the Adige Valley is spectacular and and the view is breathtaking. Breathtaking. And, And I call this wine the red wine in the white suit. Just as, as a provocation, I'm provoking the people because <laughs> because they are used to those super light, watery, inconsistent, citrusy Pinot Grigio. And then when I come with this, this no, 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 this is a red wine in a white vest, in a white suit.
0: This wine is like driving through the mountains. Absolutely. I mean, it's up and down and around the corner and it takes you on a journey. It's not just flat. It's not just driving through Texas.
2: Absolutely. And <laughs> you, and you know? can see the viscosity. I mean, you, you, have, you have body structure. <clears throat> zero barrel unlocked, but you can see how thin how tight are the arches how slow are the are the legs so it's a, it's a Pinot Grigio that has a lot of consistency and I actually as you said before I convert people because I always separate my American friends into two categories Pinot Grigio lovers and Pinot Grigio haters the one that are afraid of anything else so they come to my wine tasting and they ask for the first name they know can I have some Grigio please I'm like Sure, and then the other that says, "I'm too good for school." You know, I'm not drinking Pinot Grigio. Pinot Grigio, I'm like, well, you know what? It's a free taste. Worst case scenario, you just dump it. You're not married to the wine. You can dump it anytime you want. They taste it. and They're like, "Wow, is this Pinot Grigio?" I'm like, "Yes." That's, but if you make two million bottles, it's not gonna happen.
1: That's like we were, we were kind of talking. Like you know, again, coming back to a market being set. If everybody wants to hear about this, oh, this Pinot Grigio must be great from Italy, and then some company wants to jump on that and make 10 million bottles, well, you get Santa Margarita. And they're just like, let's just get every bit of something out there we could show. And then, again, you get those lovers and haters of it. And the problem is, is neither one has ever had a real product. Like a lot of people that come into my wineries, and I talk about this a lot, either hate or love Chardonnay they don't have a middle ground. And I can never explain to them enough that there are so many different styles of Chardonnay. Absolutely. And the people who love it, love the oaky, buttery, burnt popcorn, movie theater, butter uh, Chardonnay. Yeah. And then I'll give them mine, which is unoaked, and they're like, oh, I don't I don't want that at all. But if they hate it, I'm like, oh, you hate Chardonnay? Well, then you're going to like this. There's no oak, no mallow. It's the pure varietal itself. And they try it, and they're like, oh i always thought it tasted like popcorn or butter and i'm like no it's it's that's not how it's supposed to take it's just somebody somewhere wanted to mass produce a ton of chardonnay and when you need to make it taste the same from california to florida that's how you do it absolutely
0: i mean i say i hate chardonnay but i love chablis Uh, Chablis absolutely yeah for me i mean yeah the
1: Vino de Rom is it the
0: Vino de Romans? Uh, Vino de Romans. Vino
1: that Chardonnay was fantastic. Yeah, Absolutely, That's unbelievably so, good. So
0: approximately, what is your the um, SRP around the country on this? Because typically a good Pinot standard Grigio, they're not yeah, going like, up uh, that much. Standard retail price. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So, about what, mean, do you, what do you, what is, do you, what uh, you say? SRP? Yeah, SRP. The, the, like the, 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 the retail pricing or standard. Yeah. Or if you're in Arizona, it's well, an
1: a, a electric company.
0: Because <laughs> typically a cheap Pinot Grigio might run someone 8 or $9. Right. But for typically an extra 5 or so, you're getting a wine that's three times the quality. Right. So, for 50% more price, typically you're getting a lot better product.
2: Definitely. Here we're looking at around $16 retail. That is right. so
0: reasonable. It is. Absolutely. It's
1: cheaper than Santa Margarita. Yeah. And and yeah. way better. <laughs> no offense to them, better.
0: but yeah. they're not on my show, so I'll talk a little shit yeah. about <laughs> <laughs> so it. Yeah, about and them. it's perfect. I mean, you can <laughs> sit <laughs> outside,
1: drink that in hot temperatures. Honestly, well, you can sit on a fire already, later. There's going to spike up. He grabbed the cup too for dumping purposes. And if you need another glass, we have unlimited abouts at this point. So let's get into some reds. Since we did a couple
0: whites and we got a real special wine at the very end. Okay. I really want to get into as the story behind this and the concrete was amazing. And then I can't wait to get into your wines because John and I attend a lot of events, mm-hmm. but rarely do we walk out with bottles, and he could not wait to buy your Corvina. We'll, we'll so we'll we're going to get into Corvina. that here in a bit. We're
2: going to get there. But this, and let me tell you guys, I'm so excited about this wine. I love this wine to my bones. Um, Is a Barbera d'Asti. And first of all, uh, Asti doesn't mean sweet. Asti means a beautiful town name. Asti in the Piedmont region, which is the northwest of Italy. So a lot of people say, oh, I thought that everything Asti is sweet. No. Or bubbly. Uh, it's also exactly. a misconception that people Absolutely. have. Absolutely. Actually, bar- there are two main Barbera from Piemonte, Barbera d'Alba and Barbera d'Asti. And the reason why I lean more towards the Barbera d'Asti is because I have the honor to meet this great man. His name was, unfortunately, passed um, Giampiero Bianco is the owner of the La Meridiana, and I always enjoy to call him the philosopher of the Barbera. Because La Meridiana is a winery that has been up and running for five generations now, using just one grape. So is one of the many wineries in my group that I call them one wine, one winery, one grape. They only work with barbera and they make six wine with just one grape. And everyone's like, How oh, is that even possible? because it's not the grape that makes the wine, it's the soil that makes the wine. So if you're a small winery and you select and you select your grape in the vineyard, you can make multiple wine just with one grape. The reason why I particularly love this little boy is called Le Quattro Terre, the four soil, is because, yes, of course, Giampiero became famous for the very big, full-body single vineyard that he makes, but this one is... Not a single vineyard, is is entry-level wine if you want, uh, is everyday barbera that comes from the four different terra that he has. And he actually puts the picture here on the the color on the on the label. You have the sand, you have the iron, you have the limestone, you have the clay. So those are the four different colors that you will find walking in his property. And this wine is a second selection in harvest coming from the four different terra. And he ferments old-fashioned way in cement so he has three cement cement concrete vats dated in 1836 which were what his great grandfather was using back in the 1800s and they've always been there so they're very well seasoned and that's how he makes <laughs> his wine and you cannot automatize a cement so all the punch down to break the cup or to keep the uh, the skin moist and soaked all the pump overs, all the delastage to cool off the wine, get the oxygen inside and pump it back up is all done manually. And he still does it a very old fashioned way. So the result is a wine that is extremely elegant, very smooth, very soft with
1: a very distinct personality. So they're made in the 1800s. Do they have like valves that they eventually put into it? Or do they have to siphon from the bottom to get all the wine out of this concrete tank? Oh from that. the bottom, they have uh, a mouth. We call it the mouth. They have a, a mouth at the at the bottom. Okay, so they do have a bottom drainage. Yes, thing. they have okay. a bottom drainage. In my yes. mind, I'm just picturing this square cement. and They have to manually get something to get actually, to the bottom. Those are actually all. round. They're round. Okay, are, are, are round. So they're are cylindrical.
2: Round. Are, are round. They're like about. aspetta, sono quattro metri, quattro otto, About twelve
1: feet tall. <laughs> That's crazy. That's a lot of cement.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, it's very thick, and that's the key of the cement. The cement, first of all, is porous. so let microaeration to the wine, and also absorbs the heat and release the heat, so it's a natural temperature controller, temperature stabilizer, and uh, and also um, when you look inside, the he the tartaric precipitation. So basically, the tartaric acid needs to combine into salt to precipitate and get. Out of the wine, so usually you you do that you enhance that process with temperature. If you if you cool off the wine, the all the uh, acid crystallized into salt and becomes heavy and and precipitate, goes down to the bottom. It's called precipitazione tartarica, whatever. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, we, we, we call it cold, cold
1: stabilization. Cold North stabilization. Yeah. So
2: without getting technical, the cool thing is that the cement attracts all those tartaric acid. So the wine builds a layers of crystal all around. So the wine doesn't really touch the cement, which will not be healthy, but is uh, touching his own, his own Tartari crystals. And then every year they shave a layer and the wine's rebuilds it. And, and they keep going like
0: this for 100 years. It's so that cool. is It's like looking at a geode probably. <laughs> I know a lot of people up in the Veneto use concrete and cement. Do a lot of people use this in the Piedmont region? Because I have not seen a lot of people use this method. Besides, maybe some uh, Moscato producers have had utilized some uh, the p- cement or concrete tanks.
2: The thing is, in the 70s, when the stainless steel came out, 70s and 80s, the stainless steel came out. You know, uh, everybody ran out, uh, ran away from cement. Cement was uh, old-fashioned, was all old way, was cheap way, and so uh, everybody knocked down the cement to go into the stainless steel. And Giampiero would be the first one to really admit it all the time. He said, you know, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the money to buy stainless steel. So he was actually hiding himself in the winery and everybody and his wine was getting more and more famous in the region. And everybody says, can we come visit? Can we come visit? Oh, no, no, I'm under renovation. I cannot accept any visitors. No, no. It was a shame of his three uh, cement tank 20 years later, Everybody talk about cement because they finally realize how the cement does. And Giampiero always called his three tanks my Ferraris. Those are my three Ferraris. Mm. So from being ashamed, now they're like in the center of the in the center of the winery is like uh, the the beauty, the beauty of the winery.
1: I will say it's it's more that I've visited Napa and more that I talked to my friends who are out there making wine, a lot of their Winemakers, or you know, the people with the money to do it, they're importing a lot of these concrete eggs. Eggs, yeah. They love them. And they constantly keep talking about this roundness that comes out in white wines and softer wines. And I would say this is the first Barbera I've had where that acidity isn't you. biting on yeah. the side. It feels round and softer. Absolutely. And it's delicious. But I, I it's something I would love to experiment in the future until I saw the price tag of what it takes to get an egg to our winery. And I went, well, that's not happening. But one thing I, I wanted to touch on is the difference of concrete. Exactly. So, like, you can get these oak tanks. Stainless steel is stainless steel. It's, it is what it, it is. It is what it is. But, you know, they you have the differences in oak where you would take a French or American. And obviously, some parts are different. And they make those big, yeah. giant vats we'll see in some places. But I'd heard this twice now. Once from you and once from, I think it was at Continuum when they did it. Because they have a couple concrete tanks amongst their woods. And they say the concrete's different from each tank because we took it from two different places. Absolutely yes. We used this one tank from it was like whether well, it was actually Italian brick and mortar kind of stuff they shipped over. And the other one was made up from Portland cement. And then you had touched on it earlier where you were like, it's different, it's it's cement from the eighteen hundreds exactly. versus somebody today making it and it changes the profile of it.
2: Absolutely, yes. Because as I said, you know, everything becomes marketing at the end of the day. So a lot of people that are always trying to innovate and want to bring back those cement eggs that got destroyed so of course somebody is jumping on it and they make those eggs and they're going to sell them very expensive but the cement made in the 1800s were using completely different chemicals of what they use today so they don't really work quite in the same way so that's why Giampiero doesn't want to Give away those those tanks because those are these magic components that don't they don't use it anymore. As much as today they don't use the same um, uh, chemicals to make rubber or to make asphalt. They do, everything as evolution and they don't use that elements anymore huh. and they, they they're not possible to find. Not Even to mention
0: moving a twelve foot tank is probably possible. <laughs> oh yeah. Even the oak that's coming out today is not the oak that came out in the seventies. Absolutely. Mean, the, the wood is much different. They're mass producing it. It's that's why they're pulling from old forests.
2: But climate, this climate, climate that never changes is actually changing. From
0: from from somebody who's had you guys don't have problems at all. (laughs) From someone who's had probably hundreds of different producers of Barbera, there is something very special about how still round this is, and how almost like the sharp edges are have been sanded down. Absolutely yes, and it's probably the best way I can describe this because often Barbera will have a sharp edge. And I often always paired Barbera with dishes of food. Mm-hmm. Often, even when I was a salesman and I was showing Barbera, I would bring soprasad, I would bring capicola, I would bring food with me because it made the wines taste better. Absolutely yes. I always said Barbera isn't the greatest cocktail wine. Like to have it on its own, it's a food wine. Absolutely yes. This is a this could be a cocktail wine. I don't need food with this. This one is you, really is, you can just drink for it like Barbera.
1: This, yeah. it, it feels physically it's a little I, heavier in body, but I do like this roundedness from because i've never really been a biggest Barbera fan it was just never my style because it felt because l- you, it, you didn't meet tarter. me before yeah that's it no it, there's like maybe like one or two uh portfolios from people who come in that i'm like oh these are good Barberas because again cheap barbera when i first got into drinking go to bevmo and get that 5 cent deal from barbera and it was just one flavor it was just tart cherry and it puckered your mouth on the side and yes. you get that bitterness under your eyes and you want to cry like, yeah <laughs> and i'm like man i'm drinking this with this girl i hope she like it cuz i hate it and now that i've tried a couple that he used to represent and this one this is the first time i like you could say it, like it's rounded off
2: and i'm telling you and this is the entry level between quote that this guy makes, so it's really the he's his little baby. He's what he drinks every day. We're gonna have to talk to you about
0: getting some of the other ones to we, try. We're gonna and- get
2: the single vineyard. The single vineyard are cement fermented again, and so very traditional fermentation, and then. They're uh, battle-aged in
0: big battles. It would be fun in the future, also, uh, to have your bodyguard—the guy who's watching your back—over here. (laughs) My my, (laughs) my, my God, James, 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 everybody. When you have when you have con imports, you need to have a bodyguard, I guess. Absolutely. (laughs) What? But it'd be fun to have you back on. Maybe a big
1: jacket, a rose. Do the lineup of
0: these together. And talk just about all the different single oh, it's things. It's so that they much do. fun. It'd be really They're, a blast to do something. And the funny that.
2: thing is that they are day and night one from the other. And the people, for me, is the best way to describe Terra is to show those four Barbera one after the other, because I always say he's the same little. It's not that he gets the grape miles away. It's the same little one piece estate. It's only um, 14 14 acres, fourteen. Hectares or acres? It's seven hectares. So okay. Yeah. So about 20, 20, 20, 20 acres. Yep. Twenty acres of land in this in one solid piece, and is the same grape. And to see four wines so different one from
1: the other is so much fun. And I'm guessing this is how long has that family been around making, or how long has that winery been around? they go back to the 1800 because it 1836 is when they got the tanks so so we're talking over 150 plus year almost like yeah. 100 i imagine nobody was digging down to find the certain soil types that they have like you can today you can bore up and be like oh here's this soil let's plant that they were just testing different like areas going that side over there is way better. This side's a little softer. That's got a different... Yeah, and five generations absolutely. to figure it out. Figure it five out.
2: generations. It's all about tradition. Absolutely. And that's why, to me, my opinion, Barbera d'Asti is better than Barbera d'Alba. Because in Alba, everything, the best Dera and the best exposure is given to Nebbiolo, of course. Yes. To yep. make those great Barolos and Barbaresco. you would be out of your mind to sacrifice the best exposure for a Barbera. The Barbera in Alba is always the step kid. It gets the leftovers. Like, okay, when the heel bends a little bit, that's where they put Barbera. When it moves from south into you know, into east and, and, and north, that's where they put Barbera. In the Monferrato, there is no tradition of Bar, of Nebbiolo. So their best of the best of the terrain the exposure is given to Barbera, and they make those magic, romantic Barberas.
1: Yeah, that was killer.
2: Yeah, I'm really impressed. That was killer.
0: I mean, I felt like I didn't give it... Enough time when we tasted with you guys the other day too, and sitting here talking about this, this wine is singing right now. So, but also, you opened it a couple hours ago, probably traveling around, yeah, yeah, bouncing yeah, the, in the, the car, bread, yeah. and that's ha- helped open it up. Absolutely. So, who is this uh, Biscardo guy? That's a He's such a mess. <laughs> He's a whale's ass. He's a whale ass, <laughs> and he pretends
2: to be the wine ambassador. I hate him. So, finally, we go home. Um, Uh, We go home and it's not a long drive, like from from Giampiero's place uh, to to my place is a two and a half hours drive. But again, in those two and a half hours drive, which is basically what it takes you from here to um, Flagstaff between Piedmont and Veneto, the world passed in before your eyes like the vineyard don't look the same. The people don't look the same. We don't sound the same. We don't grow the same grape. It's just two... We don't eat the same food. It's two completely planet, different planets, Veneto and Piemonte. So Veneto, now we go from the far west side of the Alps to the east side of the Alps, precisely in Verona, Romeo and Juliet, and the valley of Alpolicella. So while in Piedmont, the king of Piedmont is the Nebbiolo grape, in Veneto excuse me, in Valpolicella, which is the little tiny valley in Verona, the king of the Valpolicella is the Corvina grape. So I love Corvina because I I grew up, I always say I was conceived in the barrel of Amarone. So for me, it runs in my veins. Corvina is a a beautiful varietal. The funny part of the Corvina is is the name to begin with. Uh, Because Corvina comes from Corvo. Corvo is the crow, is the raven. So it's called the crow grape. And the funny thing is that every varietal in Valpolicella takes the name of a bird. So we have Corvina, we have Rondinella, we have Dindarella, we have Useletta. There's all different dialect name
0: for birds.
1: <laughs> That's cool. I
0: and love they, that. I didn't know that before. I mean, I've been in the Italian wine industry for a long time, and you taught me something new the other night when you were telling me that. And it, and it all refers to the,
2: um, to the color of the skin. Because they say, oh, they call it Corvina because the, the crow eats the grape. I said, that's bullshit. The crow eats every <laughs> every grape. It everything. Yeah. If it is sweet and he's hungry, he's gonna eat it. I mean it's not, it's not. But it's because the Corvina is so black and shiny, and in the mentality of the people in the middle age, resemble the shiny feathers of a crow. Then we have the rondinella, which is the swallow, we have the Useleta, which is the spring bird, uh, we have the Dindarella which I have no idea which bird is the rindarella. <laughs> Probably an extinct bird. It's exactly. I think it exists only the in dodo. It's good with, <laughs> the dodo. The only thing that I know is good with polenta. <laughs> <laughs> what isn't good with polenta, though? <laughs> I mean. Exactly. So this one is the, uh, basically is the um, easy version of this. So Amarone, Amarone is made with corvina, but this one is the pure expression of corvina. Um uh, stainless steel fermented, unhocked to get the pure expression of this varietal in the most friendly way now let's not forget i always say that the wine talk for the people so you will understand much more the italians drinking their wines because the wine changes according to the people that makes it so amarone and corvina are in verona the city of love the city of romeo and juliet so we make very romantic wines so very silky very soft very smooth wine that's the characteristic of the wine from valpolicella
0: now i'll tell you in all my years of selling wines drinking italian wines promoting italian wines (laughs) and and i'm not just saying saying this because you're here because i'm about as blunt as it can be this is one of the best wines i've had out of italy in a long time and it's so
1: obscure that's why there's something
0: about this even as i'm drinking right now my mind is just racing because there's so many people I want to share this with. I want. Thank I, you. I love showing up with stuff that other people have not had before. Absolutely. You show up with a Cabernet, people are like, I've had Cab. You show up with Sangiovese, they're like, well, I've had tons of Sangiovese. <laughs> yeah, watch those people's heads. spins. All my wine geek friends, I can't wait to share this with them and tell this story as you're going to get into it. Because one, the wine has depth. It has complexity. There's Soft. things in it that I have never really truly experienced. In a way, I would almost... Think it would be almost like a ripasso in a way? It
2: is actually the, um, is what I call my ripasso base, meaning that is the wine that I prepare for the ripasso technique. So what I ended up not repassing over the skin of the Ambarone, I just bottled it straight. And I declassified it into IGT, naming the name of the grape, because being 85% Corvina, I can call it Corvina. So I don't pay the state stamp. I pass the savings alone to my customer. So I can provide a wine that it really over delivers for the money because I don't have to pay the appellation.
0: Now, I did a little research. There is actually a DOC for Corvina.
2: Now, yes. There is
0: also Corvina uh, DOC. Yeah, it's a, uh, Garda.
2: Yes. Uh, <laughs> so now we're getting... Now it's getting I, just, I just triggered them. It's Southern Verona. <laughs> no, okay. So, uh, yeah, to be honest with you, there are two Corvinas. There are Um, Two wines, maybe Corvina, Valpolicella and Bardolino. Mm -hmm. So Bardolino is on the lake. Valpolicella is in the valley. The only thing in between is a mountain that that, that separates them. So we're very contiguous. We're very one on top of the other. Like uh, for my house, I am 10 minutes to the lake and 10 minutes to the valley. So it's really right there. The difference, again, and I sound like a broken record, is the soil. Because when the glacier went down from the Alps and pushed all the dirt with the, the weight and dig the hole of the lake, and then it melted into the lake, it built the lake Garda. So on the shore of the lake is all a uh, moranic soil. So it's all uh, stratification of sand and stone. Sand and stone is very loose soil, and the corvina that grows on the east slope of the lake, on the riviera, on the east riviera on the lake. They're very light, very crisp, very uh, um, high in acid, and and they make very everyday vintage wine. Like, you know, wine that you drink in the first year, year and a half, two years of life. And it's called Bardolino. If you grow the Corvina on the other side into the valley, all the dirt, all the, you know, clay, limestone, uh, iron, everything that has been pushed by the glacier into the valley builds wine that are Bigger, bolder, more complex, more round, more elegant. That takes the name of Alpolicella. That's why we have the two different names. Um, because I'm going to say it. Because it. <laughs> because you cannot sell Bardolino to sell to save your life. Uh, <laughs> they come up with a new uh, appellation called Garda. Garda DOC. Yep. So Garda, uh, there are many Bardolino that I don't labeled them as Bardolino but they called them Garda Doc. Garda doc. And Garda doc can be Garda Corvina, Garda Rondinella, Garda Merlot. You know you can actually grow Merlot too. You know, there are people that does. I tell you later why. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, my, my 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 um my one of my best friend um his father was the enologist of my father was the winemaker of my father and he is mine. So is 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 he family in his tradition and his family in my tradition. So his name is Giuseppe. And he called the, um, he called, yeah, right. Go yeah, uh, no figure. Yeah. <laughs> he called the Merlot, uh, il the corrector, the, you know, the, the, the eraser, the, when you have to correct mm-hmm. something, you know, you have to, you have that white thing. Yeah, that like you, a whiteout out. Or the white or out. A, yes. Thank you. yes. He called, he called the,
1: the Merlot, the whiteout Every time you have a problem, Throw a little Merlot in there. <laughs> That's funny. In America, they just keep throwing oak into it to correct your problems.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Merlot. So there is a lot of Merlot into Amarones because you have a 15% of room that you can play with. And they usually use a lot of Merlot. My Amarone will taste it as zero Merlot. No, I have nothing against Merlot. I love Merlot. But... I believe that a wine should be the ambassador of its own appellation. And I always say across the board, you've tasted the, you've tasted the Pinot Grigio, you've tasted the, the, the Barbera. We don't make Parker friendly wine, we make appellation friendly wine. Um, <laughs> Thank I don't, you for that. And <laughs> it's is, is our, is our uh, mission. Um, we don't like to make wine um, softer for US, sweeter for Germany, drier for England. No. Uh, we make the wine is the way I think they represent Valpolicella and I hope that my friends like it. If you don't like it, as you said, we have 2000 varietals sooner or later, we're going <laughs> to find gonna something find you something.
1: like. <laughs> this I, was, this was though, I think Damien nailed it. I've done, I don't know, I, however many countless things. And I, there's very few times where I've definitely been to a few, like we did the rain tasting recently. I was like, Oh, that's, I, I've got to join that club. That was good. There's was a few times to try some others. We'll definitely take some bottles and try this is the first time. The second I tasted it, I looked right James. Said, I got to take a couple of those bottles home. I got to buy these like Thank right you. now. I appreciate Cause it. Cause I love obscure grapes, but this had so many flavors in it that nailed my palate. And especially because it's not crazy tannic, which I think most people would enjoy, but it's soft. And every time I take a sip, honestly, I taste something different. Different. It's, it's, it's a lot rare of dark to fruit. to get that. Like yeah. a lot of
2: dark fruit, a lot of tar. Lot it's of- never the same flavor
1: yeah. to me each time. And I like that. And, it's rare when I get these really weird grape that's anymore, because I, I knew Corvina was always in Amarone, I'm running, yeah, but I had never once seen a bottle by itself. So the second I see, oh, that's a weird grape, I want to try that. Nine times out of ten, I'm like, oh, I just that shouldn't be by itself. It's clearly meant as a blending wine or something. There's the first time I was like, you know what, that should probably be by itself, I, but um- Amarone's too good. Not to use it in.
0: <laughs> I believe it's Absolutely. the only, the second time I've ever had a Corvina in my life. And I was thinking about this because I remember we had dinner at a Bodega Del Vino. Yeah, of course. And I remember the sommelier knew that we were all with an Italian importer. So he's bringing out all regional wines. And I believe he brought us one that evening mm-hmm.
2: Be because probably. I remember
0: there was a lot. I mean, we had like 100% Legrand, 100% Marzamino, and I'm pretty sure he brought one that night. But Probably. I've never seen one in the United States ever. This is the first one I've ever seen.
2: I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that you like it. I'm glad uh, that I was uh, the ambassador of the Corvina. I I, I love this varietal, I, I, and we talked about it yesterday night. You know how much I love Nebbiolo deeply, but. Um, Corvina is its place. Corvina is really as a, and it's unique because you find it in Valpolicella. That's where you
0: find it. You don't
2: find it anywhere else.
0: I want to pair this with friends eating appetizers and just having a good conversation. This is, yeah. No, yeah. It would be
2: fun to- also to taste the ripasso, which is right here because it's basically this very juice on the skin of this. So gives you do you- do a ripasso. We do ripasso and we actually do real ripasso style and now i'm going to disclose something that is nothing secret because the law came out in uh september uh, uh, 2019 so oh, wow. a month ago that uh to make a ripasso you can just make a ripasso blending in 20 percent of amarone is is the law sounds wow. like you're cheating is legal is legal cheating <laughs> both
0: of us are just look lost yeah. like really yeah it's man sad. that must
1: have made you guys real upset who paid how Very- much
0: money for that one yeah, what, what major <laughs> U.S. American? I'm players. not going to say it. Now, is it on American shelves? How many <laughs> states are your wines represented in, in the United States?
2: Okay, we are in 22 states right now. We are not strong in 22 states, but little by little, we are we are growing little by little in in, in every state. We are in 22 states. Um, we don't make a lot. So for me, it's all about 20 pounds. It's all about placements you know so we we don't sell millions millions of bottles because we don't have millions of bottles to sell so we we literally don't um we we're going to talk about this uh, this uh, wine and uh, this one is a, the 2015 so um if you're asking me i will not release the 2015 now why because i think the 2015 deserve two extra years but because we are who we are we didn't make any wine in 2014 2014 was, was the a, worst vintage yes. that I've seen in my own in my in my personal wow. life, and cool. so we decided please. So we decide not to make Amarone in 2014, and it's very easy to say, but it's very difficult to do because not making a wine, wine making is not like like beer or vodka or any other. Yeah, you can do that all year round. Exactly, and you can decide. You know what? I'm not gonna make it for six months. Wine is not like that it's because one shot. you depend on on your vineyards and your vineyards regardless if you're going to make it or not, they deserve time and attention and work. So if you skip a vintage, it means that you have been working one year in the vineyard without
1: getting paid. That's what's crazy to me. Is, and, and I don't think I've ever been able to express to enough people, especially these days. And in America, being a baby, like I know we've had wine for a long time, Prohibition ruined that and everything. But everybody in my mind is America's a child figuring wine out and a lot of people get money and go i can't wait to open or excuse me plant my own vineyard and we're going to make all this wine i'm like your great great grandkids might probably right. make some money on it but you guys are going to struggle like it's it's a hard long process they think long they process. can just plant and one year later oh i've got grapes this works so so when you give up an entire year yeah and you had to pay everybody well that's a lot of backlog you hopefully have to have. Wait, and by the way, real quick, I sorry to interrupt, please, but no, what fine. happened in 14 that made it go, I, this just is not going to, I can't do it. I can't, this is my baby, this is my child, it's not even worth the money, I'm just not doing it.
2: We got 250 days of rain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> it was insanity. So every, we cut down Ow. 70% of the production literally on the floor. Uh, it was probably the most expensive harvest. And that's another thing. People should pay more for bad harvest, for bad vintages, than less for good vintages. Of course, it's not going to happen. Did you, you still had a harvest? Of course, yeah. You have oh, to. so you can't just let the fruit, fruit drop? No, 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 no. You get Everything gets sick. Oh, so wow. you have to go there in and out every day, every day, cut the leaves on the east. So you cut all the leaves so they, they get a lot of sun very early morning. To let the sun come in and dry everything as much as possible, so you have to, so you don't spray that much chemicals. Because there is only one thing you can do: it's either chemics or losing. And we decide to to lose because we don't want to pollute. So basically, you there are certain tricks that you can do, like uh, uh, leaving uh, you know higher grass that absorbs the that absorbs more humidity, cutting the the leaves on the east, running you know the how do you call it? Atomizzatore. The, the the tank that sprays the chemicals has a huge fan on the back that brings so Kinda much air. Like air, air dries. Exactly. That that actually uh, um, uh, makes the 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 the, the drops. Like that. Exactly. Uh. No no. The, so you can spray the keep when you have to spray the chemicals. The tank you have the injectors and then there is a huge fan that makes it like a like a like a cloud. So uh, the 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 chemicals uniformly go on the vine. Well, we were running with the empty tank just to run to the, the air you know, and Just to spray the hair. to. So that's a lot of work, a lot of fuel, like a lot of cost. At the end, we ended up cutting 70% of the grape down on the floor. The 30% that was left was to make a great Valpolicella Classico. So we had a good Valpolicella Classico, but it was not powerful enough to become Amarone. So we decided not to do it.
1: That's interesting. So what you would maybe recommend is say, hey, listen, we didn't make an Amarone, but our Val is actually maybe better than usual because this year we put our best product into our, our Val instead. I tell
2: to all my dear friend, always shop for the worst vintage available because you're going to get great wine at great price point. Like, 2014, you buy Brunello di Montalcino? No. But you buy Rosso di Montalcino? Fuck yeah. Yeah. Uh, you get, what was what was you get some 2001?
0: Rosso that 2001, 2002? Right. 2002?
1: Insane. Well, yeah.
0: I mean, we had a producer that just declassified. He's one of the most expensive Brunello producers of there course. is. And he of declassified. Course. He doesn't make Rosso. He just doesn't. And that year, he took all his Brunello and called it Rosso. So you were buying his Brunello for the Rosso price. Absolutely, yes. And... It it was pretty damn good. It's damn good. I mean, because he had to pay for the Brunello taxes up front anyways. Anyway. So, so you, that's,
2: that's the best way. So Maiva Policella Superiore 2014 is a damn good bottle of
0: wine. You also sure. could... Cons- <laughs> and I always said... Uh, Go an, get that, everybody. <laughs> an, an idiot could have made a great uh, Brunello in 2010. I don't know anything about making wine. I could have made a great Brunello in 2010. But you know what? It's the challenging years where you see how good a winemaker is and you see how great the family is at overcoming adversity. And you're right. Some of those challenging years produce some of the best wines from the correct houses.
2: Because I always say, it's not that the small guys are smarter than the big guys. The big guys, regardless of the vintages, they need to guarantee that one, two, three million bottles. And that's why the quality goes up and down. But if you own your own scissors, you cut down what you don't like it's painful. You might cut down more, but we never have a bad vintage. We might not make that wine, but what we put in our bottle, it's good quality. Plus,
1: you know. You know your product. You're like, man, it's that's, that's too bad I got to get rid of this, but
0: these ones. What yeah, was these the guys other? Survives. Because
2: you select your own grape. Is Green harvest is the most fundamental part for quality winemaking.
0: What was the other really rainy vintage? 2003? Was that the one that was... It was the three or four. One was super hot. One was super 2003 rainy. 2003
2: was super hot. 2002 was rainy. That was two oh, twos.
1: Yeah. That was, that was the one time I had the one Marolo that made it out of 2002. And it was straight water, basically. <laughs> I, bought a,
0: I bought a bunch on blowouts from different things. And some of them turned out fantastic.
2: Some turned out very good. Again, it's all in the end of the winemaker at the end. And, and again, a lot of time is just a, a matter of good luck. You know, you get the hell. You know the hell is is is, is, is the, the worst thing it, you can get. Is the plague for winemakers. But the hell is like a twister. It gets you. It doesn't get me. It just slides around me. Was a bad vintage? Well, for you, yes. For me, no. So <laughs> it's like you know it it, it it depends. So the 2014 was bad because it was a matter of rainy days, and that affects everybody. So there is nothing you can do. But it it happened uh, um, in in the Alto Piemonte in in. in Three weeks ago, two days before harvest, they got the hail. Ugh. It was a spectacular harvest. Specta- destroyed everything. Where was that? I have at? friends that I... You, you know, texted me in, in uh, Piemonte. Oh, the Piemonte? Piemonte. Yeah. When you said, you had you had said Piemonte.
0: it's hailing right now. You literally sent me a text saying yeah. it was hailing. It I was, was like, no. And, and literally, I have friends crying.
2: Like, really, you cry. Because after a year of struggling and working hard, and you have such
1: an amazing grave, you just have to go pick it. It's like people running a marathon Five and minutes? they get a Cramps. cramp
0: three feet from the finish line and fall down. Yeah. My friend Doliani that we were drinking his wines earlier, mm-hmm. he got a hail that completely destroyed one of his most famous vineyards and it took him two years to recover. Absolutely. He didn't make a vintage the year after and then the year after he had a very, very small vintage. But, Absolutely. I yes. mean, he had to cut his plants down. And oh, yeah. You, you, you go in and you cut and you prune them and you hope they survive. So let's talk a minute about uh, Emerone because a lot of people don't know a lot about it. Okay. Um, how it's produced. So the, I just the... pretend you don't know anything about it, right? Yeah. But I think that's really smart because a lot of people don't... They, they see it on the label, but they don't realize the process. Or, 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 or how I to pronounce, pronounce it, too, by or the way. gets into it.
2: So, okay. Uh, now, I'm going to tell you a lot of funny things about Amarone. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> you haven't been funny at all this whole episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: Amarone is the king of Valpolicella. It's the most important wine that we make in Valpolicella. And as all the beautiful thing in life came from a mistake Uh, most of the greatest uh, invention by the way that was me it's,
0: that might have been him too. Me too. Nine, Ninety-nine. In, mistake. Ninety-nine. I have no doubt. I have no I am, doubt. I'm the 99% failure or the 1%
1: failure of birth control.
0: <laughs> well, You're I, right. Some of the best well, things come from mistakes. There is not a day in my
2: life that my mom doesn't remind me that I was That's the great. greatest My mistake. mom is Italian too. Like, so
1: yeah, like, oh, you yeah. are an accident. Don't worry.
2: Actually, well, she's nice because to me, she said, you are the biggest mistake I ever done in my life. Like, thank you, mom. <laughs> That's very, very... But I love you.
1: Like, I'm sure you do. Know. I know you do. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I my know. mom was 100% the same. All my my mom's side of the family is all. So my great grandparents, one was from, you know, shitty Naples. And the other one was from Palermo. They migrated over here, and then my grandparents were fake Italians from Brooklyn. So they're all, you know, five foot five. They all yell and scream. And my mom is constantly like, oh, God, if only I didn't have you, my life would be so much better. But I love you. You're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I love you. She says exactly the same thing. (laughs) Thanks. Self esteem gets shrunk and then right back out. Right.
0: So you have something in common with Amarone. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Just, the biggest I'm the Rapasso. <laughs> the <laughs>
2: biggest mistake in Valpolicella. So how, how do we make Amarone? How Amarone is made? Well, Amarone has a very long history. Amarone comes from the vino retico. And the vino retico was the wine that the Romans were making. So there are two um, wines that we have the oldest uh, historical documentation uh, that go back to Plinio il Vecchio 2300 years ago. Uh, The Vino retico, so the Amarone, and the Falerno del Massico, the Falerno, which is a wine based with Aglianico down in Campania region, an hour north of of, uh, Naples, and we'll talk about it next time. But how Amarone is made? Basically, Amarone is made with Corvina grape, primarily. There are two mandatory grape, Corvina and Rondinella. Those are the two mandatory grape into Amarone. But it's not made like my microvinia we tasted before meaning is not what i call a normal wine because you don't every wine in the world is made in the same way you harvest you squeeze it you ferment it you age it you bottle it you sell it Wine making it? it's not rocket science very simple <laughs> so um the amarone is a little twist so you don't harvest and squeeze the grape we harvest by hand uh because we don't we must make sure that we don't break any berry. The grape must come intact to the winery so they are transported in small cassettes with just one layer of grape so there is no weight on top of them. And we lay them down on straw mats to raisin, to dry out. Now, it can be done on straw mats or it can be done nowadays, we do it in those uh, plateaus, in those little cassettes, so we can pile them up easily and they're more easy to move around. But we still do both. We still use straw mats and cassettes. So your winery, you're doing both styles? Yes. Yes. We still have some what we call gratici, where you lay down the grape. And we use the cassettes because they're more easy to storage. And we let the grape raisin from basically we finished harvest four days ago. So from now all the way to mid-December, early January, growing up was always after the 6th of January. Now that the global warming doesn't exist, we (laughs) do before Christmas. Wow. It's a a big change. A month. A month ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. It's really crazy. Something more. Until 10 years ago, uh, eight, we were starting harvest in Valpolicella on the 15th of October. Now we finish harvest on the 15th of October. So everything has changed. A huge challenge. So we let the grape to raisin So reasoning, the grape use, lose about 30, 35% of the water goes with the angels. And so let's say that you start with 100 pounds of grape. You end up squeezing 70 or 65, 70 pounds of grape at the end. So you lose a lot of production right there. But by doing this, you concentrate all the juice, you concentrate the Natural fructose, the natural sugar that is inside the, the grape, and you thicken the skin because the skin gets thicker and thicker and harder and harder. And that's what makes amarone what it is. Then, when in January you take the grape, we pretend they're fresh, so we squeeze them, you cannot de stem it because the stem is all brown and it breaks like a breadstick. But also, if you do this raisining naturally without burners, without humidifier, without gas, just saying I, I didn't say that somebody does that
1: way i've seen fifteen dollar amarone shell on a shelf but I'm you should come in, uh, and check it out
2: yeah. we still use it with open airs. so i always say that the biggest technology that we use is to put the nets on the windows otherwise the birds come in and they eat the grape that's our the, technology the corvos <laughs> exactly the corvos come in so you cannot distend, but if you do it naturally also, the stem that usually is green and the seeds has processed the oil inside. So you don't get bad tannins anymore. Actually, to, to see if the grape is ready, we tear a piece of the cluster with two or three berries and we put everything in the mouth and we chew everything. And if everything is crunchy and sweet, you're good to go. If it's still bitter, you have to wait. That's the rule of thumb that my grandfather always told me. And that's how we do you take it, you chew everything. And if you do that at harvest, in any grape, if you try to chew the stem,
0: you oh, literally better. throw up. That, that, no, you, you
2: roast, you, you throw up. You I mean,
0: I mean, that's one of the reasons why Amarone's tend to be a little higher price point because you're losing 30, 40% exactly. before you even start fermentation. Fermentation Plus all the labels because literally
2: it's by end one by one because there is no machine that can be that delicate right now. Yeah, so we have to I do it by imagine. hand. So and then you have 3 years in the battle. Off. So that's another
1: long is that time. is that the law or is that what you do is the 3 years?
2: Amarone is 3 years of aging. The law doesn't really specify just 3 years of aging? How much? You know it says a minimum of 2, but there is is a, 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 can I say a flexibility because every you decide. You, as a winemaker, you have to decide if
1: the grape needs more or less. Does this, do you guys use brand new bariques? Do you use the big botti? We or? only
2: use botti. Okay. So five thousand liters. We use That's Slovenian so oak and Austrian oak. So are made by uh, Gamba, which is uh, a very uh, famous uh, cooper from Veneto, and uh, we use Vox. Those are the two. Is blue tag, red tag, and black tag. There are. Three main: blue, red, and white, and black. Uh, you have Garba Garbalotto from Piedmont, and uh, one is wh- red, is and one is blue.
1: Italian oak, or is this French oak? Um, it's definitely w- not American oak. <laughs> we
2: use we use French and Slovenian.
1: Slovenian. There is That's the what, sorry.
2: the Garba goes in a in limousine, gets the logs over there, age the oak in Italy, and then he ships it into the big Italian botti. So five each inches staves and
1: 5000 liters. Do you guys have a uh, this kind of like oak related on? Do you have a way of finding out where the oak's going to go cuz like I know especially in America being that we have much smaller barriques, we have the 60 55 gallons you can have 1000 barrels out there and test through each one to see how it tastes. But if you're doing what 5000 liters is that we said? Yeah, 5000 yeah. liters. 5 to 8 And 000. if you didn't like the way that oak turned out, do you get a new barrel or is it just once it's neutral, it's neutral and that's what you're going to use for the entire time.
2: That's a very good question. Um, uh, it, it, again, it goes back to, um, experience. Uh, you, you, you trust your, your Cooper, you trust the Cooper that you, um, that you've been working with for, for, for Gen- sometimes generations, for generations, yeah. but also you, you trust your friends. So it's, there is a lot of mutual, conversations like for example um I'm using um the the French oak we I've never did because of Giampiero uh, Giampiero is the one introduced me to gamba that goes and gets the logs in France but makes it into the, the Italian pig. style okay uh, and he said Nicola trust me you get great result with those barrels they're not invasive to the wine they're not flavoring the wine they are maturing the wine and tasting his barbera I that <laughs> that's a very good idea and actually the uh, Vox, the austrian oak was uh, my uh, dear friend uh, Casa Emma, from county classico paolo Paffi. he told me that is has been they has been using, they have been using excuse me uh, this austrian oak for you know several decades and they did very good job so like hmm, time okay. so you-, you you always experiment I have to say this, big barrel do not
1: flavor the wine. I, that was just what I was going to ask is if you get brand new barrels, do you get the crazy oak flavoring? And then obviously once it's neutral, it's neutral. But I mean, if they're that big and 5,000 liters, I can't imagine it's going to impart any flavor into no. it. It's always, okay.
2: Is maturing the wine, is not flavoring
1: the I wine. I think that's, that's one it. thing that him and I agree on. And even my my dad has gotten into Brunello. He loves them and he's enjoying a lot more Italian wines, a little more now that he gets older is one thing that I've always liked and appreciated more about Italian wines is that the oak is almost never there. In some wines, you can get it, like especially in some of the modern Barolos, like you can taste a few of them. There's been like a couple Rosos I've tasted a few on. But for the most part, I'm never just sitting there going, oh, I taste cinnamon, mocha, you know, gunpowder if it's super toasted, or vanilla and peanuts. Right. Like I've had a lot of American wines where... People will pour me wines and uh, the salesperson or the manager, some be like, oh, yeah, you know, it tastes like black fruit, whatever. I'm like, I I can't get past the dill or the coconut. That's all I taste. Like, I just taste oak and I don't want that. And they're like, well, in 20 years, it'll be better. I'm like, I don't really think so. It's just going to taste like really crappy coconut. That's why I just, I like Italians more because it's not as much. But I always wondered if you have those botis when you first get them, if that oak, Leaches in on the first batch. No, it doesn't. Okay, it's so large, it too. I mean,
2: they're large. And then we rotate 5,000 liters. You could have a party in that barrel. And <laughs> then also, another thing, we always rotate them. So uh, okay. when you do your racking, when you need to clean up your barrels, because when the wine first comes in, in the first uh, three months, you rack the wine often. And then it's less and less and less when the wine kind of cleaned up itself. So every time we you transfer, the wine outside into the stainless steel and then you wash, we wash the barrel and then we pour the wine back in. We never put the same wine in the same barrel. Everything gets mixed and then redistribute and then gets mixed and then
0: redistribute.
2: That's the way we do it. Okay.
0: I want I want to know though because I've had a lot of Amarone in my life mm-hmm. and I've done a lot of wine dinners being both a restaurateur and a salesman. I rarely ever pair Amarone with an entree or a pre-course. Usually it's something that's an after-dinner drink, it's let's sit by the fire, drink Amarone, or let's have this for for dessert. I don't eat dessert a lot, I'll drink Amarone for dessert. (laughs) Your Amarone is a lot lighter and more balanced than almost every other Amarone I've had out there. There's only one other one in my mind I can think of that is comparable, Mm -hmm. and how is it that everybody else's, are they taste like raisins, and they're super high alcohol, and they're super heavy oaked, and yours is so refined, And I mean, it's beautiful. It really is.
1: I I did want to kind of touch on that a little bit because it's the first time I sat here and my brain is kind of off because I'm like, I'm getting the tannin, but there's a lot of acidity in there and I've never had that before with an Amarone.
2: (laughs) Okay, there is a lot of acidity because it's 2015. So this wine, as I said before, deserves other two years. And we are always releasing the wine when it is the proper time to release it. But, you know... If the shit hit the
0: fan. You didn't have a 14. You need I, to something. I don't something. have a 14. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I so, think I get it. Exactly. Yeah, so bills
2: never stop. <laughs> the 13 actually now drinks like a million dollars. And um, this one has still a lot, of, is very juvenile, is very young, it has a lot of that acid that makes the Amarone last 25, 30 years. That's exactly what good Amarone are. So this wine, yes, as more crisp because it still needs time into that bottle to soft down and put all these puzzles together. But it's so enjoyable right now. So it's very well balanced. And going back to your question, actually, this wine is labeled 15% alcohol. As a matter of fact, 2015 is 15.75, but you don't feel it. I would never guess. Not at all, yeah. Okay, I tell you what. My very good friend, Spider-Man, was always telling me. <laughs> <laughs> I, we're, we're good buddies. All right, you're, we're all good right. buddies. P- Peter Parker. Exactly. We're like this. With great power comes great responsibility. And it's exactly what comes in wine. With a lot of body, you have to carry a lot of personality. If the wine doesn't have personality, it has only muscles in the body is going to hit you like a boxer. And you think is heavy wine, but it's just a rude wine. Yeah. If the wine is very well balanced, it will actually feel lighter than what it is because there is so many components that nothing is actually slapping you. I always say you don't want to be raped by the wine. You want to be seduced by the wine. And to me a good Amarone is a very seductive wine. And I always say, yeah, it's not light, it's elegant. That's my favorite catchphrase. is elegance, 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 elegance. And that's what is very important. Back to the raisins. The raisins are the frame of the style of Amarone. But they don't have to be the only thing you get. Because if that is the only thing you get, it becomes monodimensional. If it's monodimensional, it's no more a meditation wine. Amarone has to deliver many layers without having one layer overlapping the other. The raisins are there framing the wine. It will develop a little bit more next year it will get there right now that acid that i wanted there to make the wine longevity to give the wine longevity are actually a little bit predominant right now if you taste the 2013 now it's like velvet it's like wearing silk but a lot of those amarones are Really oxidized wine. You can see the color of this one I, I did look, I was look, how, say, look how dark it, it is. It doesn't
1: have that reductive oxidized flavor that absolutely. some Amarones have. And we touched on this when we first tried it. It's the first time you said it first, and you, because I think you nailed it. Like, it's actually fresh. Yes. And there's Amarones that are absolutely fantastic, but it comes off the back of being really over concentrated and almost tastes like. Somebody just pulled a pie out of the oven. Yeah. And it has that cooked kind of flavor into there, which I think is a cool characteristic on some. But when you pour this, I was like, they don't go man, with food. They don't go with they anything. Don't go with food. And I'm telling yeah, you, al- the, drink the it alcohol by shines
0: through and you're tasting alcohol you and that. raisins. Yeah. And they're not really pleasant. And I mean, this is one that you could literally, I've said this the other night to you, I could have this with a pre course. Mm-hmm. And I've never once thought about serving, doing a wine dinner and serving an amarone during a pre me. Like, it's always an entree or oh afterward. Christ, so stupid
1: that I just right now in my entire life of all the time food realized me oh. for what food you mean? course. <laughs> Pre- me of course. Yeah. I feel but stupid. <laughs> <laughs> the the again,
0: Italian over here. But you know, I always that,
1: wonder why my grandparents would serve salad at the end of dinner as the dessert. And they're like, well, it's just supposed to pack your stomach down. And I always thought it was really weird. It's and very French. Until I went to Italy and they were, they were doing salad at the end of the night in certain parts of Italy. Oh, absolutely, yes. And you know that extra super exaggerated
2: jamminess, it's sugar. It would be very easy for me to make that style. Now, don't throw anybody under the bus. Everybody does his own thing at home. But amarone, amaro means bitter. So amarone is must be dry. And my Marone is a dry wine. It will be very easy to make it Parker-friendly and leave more residual sugar. And that residual sugar, during the oxidation, will bring more raisins. So I have to invest even less money in raisining because I just leave more residual sugar. Then I oxidize my sugar and I get that very fat jammy monodimensional and for what and you feel stuffed after you drink it yeah and then try to age those wines for 30 years good luck
0: i was gonna say so you've been aged this for 30 years you're like wow that's what i was gonna ask you was where would you go with this wine for aging because we get asked this constantly people write into the show they send us notes it's crazy i I bought this wine how long should i age it and right now a lot of wines are released ready to drink. Yes. 20 years ago, you aged wines to make them better. Now with technology and technology. And also we know much better. And also
2: let's, let's, let's face it. Uh, um, in the same acre that I, uh, um, inherited from my grandfather, that, which I have no credit because I just inherited in that same. And that's what comes my credit, uh, in that same acre, my grandfather was making wine with, let me think. <laughs> because I, we think <laughs> yeah. hectares and. and uh, it's point. You could say, you say, say hectares. But I, I, in, in that actor, okay, let's make it easier for me. So in that actor, my grandfather was making wine with 800 vine in that actor. And he was making uh, five tons an acre. Me, wow. in the same actor, today, I have 3,000 vines and I'm making 2.2 tons. Wow. So, of course, my wine doesn't take that much time to become soft as before. Same thing goes for Brunello, same thing for Barolo. Because we multiply by 5, by 10, the number of vine, and we divide it by 5, the production. Though all that energy, all that power, goes straight into the wine. And that's why, also, if you look in the different... consortium the different laws the different doc they are reducing more and more the aging time in barrel because the wine doesn't need that much oak to to get the micro to process all that rough tannins were
1: coming for five vine making ten times it seems like i've seen more and more that as they modernize technology the use of oak keeps coming down Absolutely. Because people are Less so or, yes. good in the vineyard that they're like, we don't need those crazy harsh tannins. And yeah, I mean, the wine will be amazing in 40 years, but you can't drink it for 39. Yeah. So mm. good luck with that.
0: So yeah. for someone who bought your wine, how long, if someone said, I want to age this, what mm-hmm. would be your recommendation for? Because right now it's it's stunning, but you have also said, this is still a baby. He's still a baby. If it's someone so- wanted to lay this down, what do you think is the primary or the the perfect zone. Ten years, twelve years. If you have time, if you have
2: time. I hope uh, I have time. Again, you can as you said, you can drink this now, this one with that acid with a rebuy would be perfect. But if you have if you have 10 years time, I would say fifteen. I start smoking. Okay. And between 15 and 30, it's just having fun. Perfect. So it's
1: kind of like that French guy who's like, listen, everything is approachable and drinkable now, which is awesome. Like honestly, opening this bottle right now, when I first smelled that, I was like, oh, it's really tight. It opened up in 10 minutes. And now it's Boom. super approach Because some wines take hours. I mean, we but, had a wine the other day that the next day was amazing. And the first day, we're like, it didn't taste like anything.
0: And, and this is actually more affordable than a lot of the big name of course. Amarones that are out there. So I'm going to use your the term again, SRP. <laughs> yeah. Like, here we're looking at... On, on a shelf? On retail. a shelf,
2: you're looking at, like, 75 bucks. That is so well-priced for Without it doubt. Runner.
0: I used to represent some of the big names, the mm-hmm. the expensive ones, yes. and some of those wines are undrinkable upon release. I mean, because no. they're so oaked, they're oh, so yeah. aggressive, and those get in the three, four, five, six hundred dollars range. Yes. Yes. And Makes for sense. that price, that is an unbelievable wine. That's a great gift to give somebody to, a birth year wine.
2: But I'm telling you, in three weeks, is going to give point. you a
0: bottle of the 2013
2: that is coming in U.S. We are releasing more 2013 um and okay how has that happened well we said we don't talk about politics but uh, 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 <laughs> well but, american politics go ahead
1: and you know do italian politics italian <laughs> uh,
2: you know europe is having some issues with russia right now and uh um for s- several regions most for you humi- humanitarian reasons you know when they have the war try to kill a lot of people well, you- know. Let's not get into it, but you know we got some yeah. issues with Russia, and so the European community applies certain um, fines to Russia, and Russia answered with a huge middle finger, and uh, they said, "Okay, we're gonna block the boundary, and no European goods come in." Of course, you know I cannot say those words, but okay, <laughs> of course our fellows Europeans uh, they have nothing good to sell, so there's not a problem for them. But for the Italians that have a lot of good things to sell to Russia, it's a huge problem. So all my allocation that was supposed to go, 2013, that was supposed to go to Russia actually got blocked at the border, came back. So fortunately for that, or unfortunately, well, uh, fortunately because I, I got very high score on shift. 2013, yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm detouring all the 13 to United States, and I'm going to hold on on the 15. Awesome. So I will release the 2013 uh, more 2013. I want you to try it because it's just amazing. We We'd love also to. we also got uh, very well rewarded by the Wine Spectator. Not that I needed, not that I, but you know, it's like when uh, when uh, when uh, a beautiful supermodel says oh, what do you think about beauty? Oh, no, beauty is not really important. Yeah, because they're fucking gorgeous. That's <laughs> yeah, what he said. Yeah, exactly. so, yeah, but you want to
1: showcase just no, a little it's, bit. Just, uh-huh. it's just
2: who you are what matters. It's like it's your personality. <laughs> yeah, whatever. So, so of course, Gotta a good score face. for the wine spectator is flattering. I I admit it. You know. Now, I'm not going to prostitute myself to get it, but if they realize that this little tiny guy that has been there for four generations doing a good job. I'm happy about it. So the 2013 got a very big price. I'm not going to submit this to the Spectator for a while because they're very narrow-minded from that perspective. Like they judge what they have there. So I'm afraid that this jewel will be penalized because it's too young. So I will hold on and will submit this one next year on the year after to the
0: West You spectator. are a very smart businessman. Like a, like your your outlook okay. and your view, you're very smart. I mean, too many people just send it off, send it off, send it Not off. Not because and they're gonna see looks, what they have in front. You know, they, they you, have, you have passion though too, and you could tell. That's so. really important. So oh. well, I feel like we should have ended on the Amarone, but we have one no, more no, wine. No. Oh no, we gotta taste this. We gotta
2: <laughs> taste this. Oh, I'm so, so, so this will be
0: our last wine of the episode. But this is something that I'm all about: geeky wines from Italy. Mm. Amarone, Pinot Grigio, Barbera. People know these wines. This is something that nobody in America has probably so ever once it. experienced. This is the weirdest this, thing this, ever. But this is what I love about Italy. You oh, don't yeah. get this in any other country. There's no, you don't get this in Spain. You don't get, what, France had 45 grapes? That's it? Like, that's, <laughs> no, A, no, a no, collective outburst of French people just went, hey, I've and... never had a Frenchman show up with a, a wine from a grape I've never heard of. Every no, time I point. sit down with an Italian, he brings me something I've never seen, heard of, and that's what's kind of special about show this one. The Italian wine. I don't know.
1: It's no point of a show. It. Is this even in the US? You have to.
2: It, yeah. it just arrived. Just arrived. Now, a little that's, that's not uh, it. A little it's warning. It. <laughs> Tasting this after Amarone is a is a shock. Yeah, but it's gonna refresh my palate. Oh yes, absolutely. it's, it's very shocking because and, it's super dry and it's super tart. And this is sparkling a little refreshing. bit too, right? It's a little bit sparkling. It's not really sparkling. It's what we call natural frizzante, which is not induced frizzante, but comes from the primary it's fermentation. Like effervescent.
1: Effervescent,
2: yes. So now, what like, we have uh, right what now? What the white
1: wine we just had? Vino Verde. Vino yeah. Verde,
2: yeah. So we have to do a long drive because it's a seven-hour drive from Verona down to Naples. and uh, Going back to your buddies at oh, Naples yeah, because, yeah, yeah.
1: because three hours of it are the worst roads y- y- ever. You
2: put on an accent when you go to this vineyard. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yes. <laughs> Now, this guy, his name is Salvatore Martuscello. Sounds very Southern. Very Southern. First of all, Salvatore. And then Martuscello.
0: I didn't realize the word names for that. (laughs) I mean,
1: I guess it makes sense because if you're Smith, you think of Utah. Well, you cannot be more Southern than Martuscello, I'm telling you. Really? Okay. So,
2: So, Salvatore. I met Salvatore, and I must say it publicly through a dear friend of mine that is called Jonathan Goldsmith. Not Italian, no <laughs> from <laughs> chicago doesn't have a, it doesn't have a sell of Italian, but is the best Italian ambassador ever, and it made me discover this incredible guy that I fell in love, like was love for sight. You said you really uh, complimented me, and I really appreciate when you said you have a lot of passion about wine. Well, you talk with Salvatore. It's just, I want to listen to this guy for hours and hours and hours. He makes three wines right now. He comes from a very big family from Naples They were making a lot of wine, very important, and then they went down for internal problems in the family, and he climbed all the way back up, and he's making those three wines. He's making a Falangina de Campiflegre, and a Sprino di Aversa, which I'll bring you next time. He's going to blow your socks off. <laughs> and this crazy Gragnano. So what is Gragnano? Gragnano is an appellation is a wine that was born more than 200 years ago and has always been in a tradition in Naples but had no name and actually the Martuscello family was the one that established the appellation of Gragnano, and they um I can I say in the in the law of you know there is a what's called disciplinare disciplinar that tells you where to grow the grape, which variety you have to grow to make the specific appellation, they identified eight ancient grapes of Campania. Now, there are other producers of Gragnano right now, but he's the father of the Gragnano. So all the other producers, they use Aglianico and Peri Rosso. He used all the eight grapes. That's why this wine is called Otto Uve, eight okay. grape. So those are the eight ancestral grapes and i need to get you can actually have to help. use a lifeline on I, this I I one i can i not even
0: cuz i know, know pietro rosso i know Alianoco, but okay I,
2: used, you Christi? told me the other day and i was like pietro rosso aglianico Shascinoso, sapella wait castagnara olivella sauca sumbe no
0: surbegna De, Yeah. I haven't heard of any of those. No. Craziest <laughs> grapes, are great. That's it. Well, I love how animated he's getting talking about this. Somebody this is his geek from, line. Yes,
1: because this no, is I, his core. To me, Corvina.
2: It yeah. was. It was a surprise for me too. Like I said, come on. I'm four generation wine business. I never heard those varietals before. <laughs> and being and from Italy, it,
1: I was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> this is the weirdest thing ever, dude. There's nothing more fun than having something. You sit there and like. You have no expectation of in any way, shape, or form because there's you have no base, you have no floor, you have nothing, and you hand something. You're like that is fucking fantastic because that is the weirdest damn thing I've ever
0: had in my life. I want all that. (laughs) I'm telling you, this with pizza margarita. So it's 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 better than the Lamborghini. That's it. Simple pizza. I mean, exactly when you say every time I came first, the egg or
2: the chicken. We don't know. Same thing as this wine came first, the granano or the pizza. Nobody knows. <laughs> like This one is the pizza one. There is every Napolitan pizza in Naples. They carry Salvatore Martuscello Tove.
1: This is fun because every single flavor that randomly pops up every 10 seconds in it is so fruit and funny. Honestly, this is perfect for the American palate because though, like the, that fruity and sweet characteristic without the sugar of the sweetness comes out. It's just a fruity, fucking good wine. It's fresh, fresh, and it's, dry. Yeah, yeah. This is a party wine right here. This is the stuff where you like—you have a brand new date, who's like, hey, "I kind of like wine," but she also like likes really fruity stuff. You pour that first; you'd love it. But you sit on a patio
0: in the afternoon. You get. I said, just a regular oh, pizza margarita. I'm pizza pizza margarita. That's Pop it. this bottle and just laugh for the next hour. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's so perfect, dude. When we were talking perfect.
1: about, so they're having a pizza and donut festival out here in what two weeks? Shout out to David Tida So that right there that's would the be the killer perfect for the pizza one. festival.
2: Yes. Everything I wish that, it was here. Everything that goes in a firewood oven or in a fryer,
0: and this. Oh, I didn't even think about fried food, like fried chicken, and this. See, there's something about fries. Even, his, probably, even yeah. his donut festival, something like this one. Yeah, fries two days. Donut, that, it re, yeah, it, in a way, it does remind me of a great quality lambrusco. Yes. Well,
2: absolutely yes. In fact, when I he first tasted me on this, I was like, Oh my god, it's like a lambrusco from the south. Uh oh. Lightning coming out of his eyes.
1: Your friendship got
0: real <laughs> shaky. <laughs> like <up. this> <laughs> You noticed your that you wasn't you real.
2: I said, no, in a, in a, in a good way. Like, I was about to say, okay, thank you for coming. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's how, how do you say
0: I'll go fuck myself. In a <laughs> <time."> <laughs>
2: Can I say it? Yes. <laughs> Mi mando a cagare da solo.
1: Done. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> wait, wait. All right, what's Fafangula? Am I saying that wrong? Vaffanculo. That's it. Is that fuck you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Okay. I've heard that at least two or you're three times. To, the
0: first thing you're supposed to learn in every language is the swear words. Absolutely.
1: Well, if, Italian's funny swear. French is like silk swear. <laughs> like it just feels good. And to like you said in the, the beginning
0: of this whole conversation, there's so many slang terms and other things that you think you know what you're saying, but there's also 20 other terms that are even yeah, worse. Yeah. So what is Absolutely. the term of, uh, what's the, what's
1: the lupa? <laughs> a boca, uh, a lupo? In what boca is, a is lupo. it when you lose? Because <laughs> that is you when you said that thing about that wine. Where the wolf ate you instead of you killing the wolf.
2: When I said that, I was really sfigato. (laughs) (laughs) Screwed? (laughs) Sfigato, it's like a loser. It's all a loser. Sfigato. Uh, That comes from the word figa, which is a key word in in English. I shouldn't say this. My mom will... She's (laughs) disgraced me. Um, um, Yeah, but, you know... uh, I, I can't get out of this. So basically, is that the f Italian the f Italian Italia word is a, is a keyword, which means beautiful woman. Actually, it name only a specific part of the woman, but to mean the entire thing, but only if she's beautiful, she is with the f word. So sfigato, in, in Italian, when you put the s in in front of a of a word. It means the opposite of that thing. So like uh, like uh, the un in in English, like lucky unlucky. You know, un makes it the opposite. So the s in Italy is this called s negativa. So it makes it the opposite. So it's fortuna, fortune. Fortuna means bad luck. So figa means very hot girl. Sfiga, which is the opposite of figa means very bad luck. We have that same <laughs> word. It's called fugly. Fug,
0: yeah. Fugly. So that means bad luck. <laughs> this has been a freaking blast recording with you guys. This today. has been the funnest thing. man. I'm glad yeah, we ended
1: on this because this wine, I think, kind of sums up how we all are just oh. fucking giddy and having a good time. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, yes.
0: This is something you should have so much fun selling in America and getting people excited about it because the younger generations – don't want to drink what their parents drank. I agree. And right now, there's a dramatic shift away from the mainstream varietals. Yes. And I think you could have a lot of success with a wine like this, especially with all the little pizza places popping up, the 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 true the Napolitan pizza, yes. And the hipster places where yes. people don't want... They want to have something fun and fresh and new because they're wearing... Old retro clothes in there.
1: Ironically, they don't want to act like their pants, yet they want to look just like them I when know, they were fine. teenagers. Yeah. What, what's the uh, pizza place from Flagstaff again? Pizza Cleta. Pizza Yeah, and they actually, they,
2: exactly, they actually
1: put in that Did
0: they? In Are HP. they really? Yeah.
2: awesome. That makes sense. Perfect. <laughs> yeah.
0: Caleb's awesome. Like they, but yeah. he,
2: he gets it, he, he gets, understands. He came back. He came back the night before from a, a bicycle ride around all the regions, all the pizzeria of Italy. That the guy's right. insane. <laughs> I know. Like like this guy, Jonathan Gosme, that I told you, that is not Italian. And he has Spacca Napoli pizzeria in Chicago. And I'm telling you, it's one of the best pizza you can get. It's unreal. Like, really true Napolitan. He spends eight months out of the year in Naples selecting East selecting flowers, selecting uh, pecorino romano and and piendolo, pomodoro, piendolo from Vesuvio. Like, he collects all these things and is the one that that introduced Amazing. me to
1: this, right? So, that was that was absolutely fantastic. All right. all right,
0: so what's your website? How do people find you? How do people look up where oh, you're yeah. at and stuff like that? Is Just, is let's give you a All right, uh, you want to say that slower for exactly. our customers in is, Texas and <laughs> exactly. say it with an accent so, while you're at it? Is
2: n i c o l a. B-I-S-C-A-R-D, like David O, oh, nicolabiscardo.com. Yeah. Or if you want, if you want to use the old mob word, conexport.com. It's still active. It still, still works. <laughs> it <Awesome>. still works. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and um, you can frame me on Facebook. Um, We're going to do that. I, I I love, I post all my my wine thing, you know, all the events, everything that is happening. And, uh, and uh, it's called Nicola Biscardo Selections. And um, and follow me. I'm tr- I'm all over the places. I try to go. Sorry, this
0: is. <laughs> You've been in America now. and traveling for like the last month. Month so. uh, September first. When you get back to the hotel room, you need something to do, so you jump I, on social media. You know
2: what? When I when I wake, when I the first three days when I'm back in Italy and I wake up, I have like anxiety. Like, where am I? I, I have <laughs> and no, the sun I, is not I, up. I yet. don't know <laughs> where I am. But uh, but it's fun. It's all fun, and I guys, this has been so much fun for me. Thank
0: you so and much for coming. You are on amazing. Your passion fantastic. is unbelievable. Thank like you. I really have enjoyed this. This has been one of our funnest episodes I've ever recorded, and. I yeah. don't want to cut it off, but we definitely need to do part two next time you're in town and definitely. continue this conversation. And I would promise I would bring more fun stuff. Absolutely. with, with
1: what you not only make for the winery and your selections of wine, you clearly have great taste. So everything you bring is probably rock star. I wanted some more of that well, before we go. Let's make a toast. Well, yeah. Yeah. Chin chin. Salute. See you guys here. Salute. <laughs> I love that thank we thank Chinese We say viva la figa. Viva, viva la figa. figa. Chin. Thanks, <laughs> everybody. Thanks. See you all later. Cheers.